Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the DeathRowProds.com comic book podcast. As always, I'm dead. I'm today we have Birdie. I'm sorry. <laughs> and Nico. I'm not sorry. <laughs> you shouldn't be. You didn't fucking end the show. <laughs> That's right. But I did return. I, I was going to take another sabbatical, but I... Uh... <laughs> Yeah, we'd see you in time for episode 200. Yeah. <laughs> I, I almost did it, though, because of the way the last show I did. I must say, I really wanted to talk about my last book. <laughs> <laughs> I was very displeased. Don't worry. I appropriately punished myself for the way I ended the last show. You just give yourself some backlashes? Or... Did you read The Nail again? <laughs> that wouldn't have been as torturous as what I read. Oh, okay. <laughs> I guess on that note, what did you read, Bernie? Okay, I thought we had switched to the news version first. All right. Um, well, as like I said, I felt like I had to do a mea culpa for breaking the show last time. So I'm going to just say something that's flat out bad, but not even interestingly bad. I read the Spider-Gwen issue, the Gwynpool issue of Venomverse. Oh. Because I was at the comic books store looking at stuff, and I saw that. And I was like, okay, how bad can this be? The answer is really bad. No shit. All right, let's end the show. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Let's wrap it up. No. <laughs> Dude, I could have no, fucking I, told you I really you don't want to end on this note because... I, I could have fucking told you before the fucking Venomverse was even announced that, oh yeah, what if Gwenpool was like Venom? I was like, fuck you. Yeah, but I thought that I forgot. I wasn't sure what tone they were going to go with. Bad tone. I was not, expect, I was not expecting... Um, Office rom-com co-starring Daredevil. Wait, what? Wait, what? Mm. What the fuck? Yeah. So, um... Gwenpool's fighting some ninjas. The ninjas have a symbiote for some reason. When they're fighting her, the symbiote falls on her and bonds to her, and it turns her into something like out of a bad 90s mutant movie. (laughs) <laughs> with, like, the big, stretchy, gelatinous eating head and, like, big tentacled arms with swords. And it's, like, it's still her suit, but with, like, black arms, legs, and head. Yeah, that sounds terrible. Sorry, just to clarify, is this through the main um, Spider-Gwen series that the Gwen No, this isn't, this isn't Spider-Gwen. Gwenpool, I don't know what the fuck Gwenpool's tied to at this point, because Gwenpool? this has red suit... Yeah. Gwenpool was a cover that somebody said, hey, let's make an ongoing out of this, and right. now they just throw her wherever they want. Oh, no, no, I know about Gwenpool, but you're talking about something with Venom. Sorry, yeah, the, I, yeah, I thought that was... Of, the yeah, Edge of Venomverse. A, oh, so is this an, an Edge of Venomverse series, or is this in the actual Gwenpool title? Like, main it's title? It's both. It's like, the, oh, it's okay. like the Edge of Spider-Verse. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I've seen some of the hubbub about this, but I've stayed far, far away. Like, I have no interest. But go on, Bertie. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I'm not sure what else to say except, okay, uh, apparently Gwenpool, when she's not being Gwenpool, works at, an, at a legal office at, under the name Gwendolyn Poole. <laughs> and... Matt Murdock, for some reason, is attempting to investigate her boss, who is evil, because of course he is. And 
the whole time that she, that Gwen, Poole, and Daredevil are in the same room, Daredevil, of course, Gwenpool, being aware of the universe, knows who it is, but um, is afraid that Daredevil will figure out that she is A, Gwenpool, and B, tied to a symbiote, to which the symbiote tells her, don't worry, I, I covered you so much in a in a replicated French cologne that she's French perfume that he's just going to think you're trying too hard. She's like, really? Thanks. I, like, uh, I want to scream. <laughs> well, um... Wait until I'm done, then you can. Um, so, of course, in all things comic booky, the evil lawyer is working for is working with ninjas who show up to kill Daredevil naturally. And Gwen then goes in as the symbiote version of Gwen Pool to help him, and accidentally causes the evil lawyer to kill himself. Wait, what? Like she fires, he the lawyer fires a gun at Daredevil, and Gwen's reaction is to make the symbiote put up a shield in front of him, and the bullet ricochets and hits him, and he falls out a window. What? Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> and uh, that's about it, except for I guess. Even the writer is working for Gwenpool because Gwen seems to want to date Daredevil in this universe, and Matt Murdock leaves and then come back and say, "Hey, you want to go out?" But she's already gone because she thinks that that's a bad idea since part of her is telling her to eat him, literally. But whatever. <sighs> Did you hear something, Birdie? Um, I think uh, I think Dead Man has a vacuum going off in his back. Oh, he's, he's, okay. he's very he's very fastidious. Right. <gasps> I know. So, sometimes he has to clean all on the podcast. I know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sounds like he just ran over rubber ducky. <laughs> Careful about those toys, Dead Man. You got to clean under all the furniture. Why is this the thing? Yeah, I know. This is pretty. Like uh, any of this. Why is Venomverse a thing? Why is Gwenpool a thing? Why is Gwenpool tied to Venomverse? Because Marvel's clearly run out of ideas, particularly in the Spider-Verse. I love how the pendulum swings back and forth to the fact that a year ago we were talking a lot of shit about DC, and now I'm just talking a lot of shit about Marvel. Oh, yeah, that's the, fu- <laughs> that's the industry, dude. I know, no, but I, the more like uh, the more years that I read comics, I realize this now. It's it's very rare where both sides of the fence are actually putting out quality books. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, so yeah, it fucking never happens. Yeah, yeah. out of the big two, at least. So, um, just either hey, we're yeah. putting out just like either it's either like hey, we're putting out quality, and the other side is putting out just dog shit, or the inverse of that. Yeah, like for every time Marvel puts out um, Kamala Khan, Miss Marvel, uh, DC was putting out Superman X Wonder Woman, or when Greg Rucka was working on the Wonder Woman series, Marvel is pushing more Gwenpool books. It's just for every good thing one does, the other has to do something bad. Mm -hmm. It's just a contract until they eventually do DC versus Marvel again to just suss Mm. it all out. But no, like that's the saddest thing. The saddest thing is that Gwenpool exists. Yeah. Like, like, like as, like as a cover, as like a one-off cover thing, it was fine. 
Like, hey, we're celebrating fucking Deadpool, so everybody's getting a fucking Deadpool variant. That's my my issues with variant covers aside. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, we've talked about that. <laughs> but this idea that the variant cover was so fucking popular that they decided to make that character a real character. That is insane to me. That's like one of those, that, that's like, remember a while back like that, um, like there was like a presidential variant cover for like a Spider-Man issue where Obama showed up? With Obama, yeah. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, that's that's like, that's like what if fucking Obama showed up with that cover and then next thing we know, Obama is a recurring character with his own fucking ongoing miniseries. <laughs> right. Yeah. Ah. It is. Yeah. It's kind of a, oh. yeah, it's irritating. No, I know. I, know, I never thought I'd say this, thing. but I miss Silk. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, mean, yeah, I mean, I can't even say I miss Silk, even though when I was at the comic store today, I looked at the second volume of her series, and the one thing I liked is that in a, in a moment of blinding self-awareness, Silk was fighting, quote-unquote, evil black cat and said, you know, you kind of suck at being a villain. <laughs> I hurt. But you're already dead. I know, it's a whole thing. There's just like this... You ever heard of the Phantom Pain? Yeah, yeah, so it's, 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 it's like that. It's like that, but like organs. So it's like really contained. It's not very satisfying, and you wait for the rest to come. <laughs> I think you're thinking of Ground Zeroes. Because Phantom Pain was the Phantom. full Metal Gear Solid Five. Okay, my bad. I could. I thought I knew Phantom Pain was involved in Metal Gear Solid Five somewhere. I couldn't remember what the whole if it was the the weird pilot that they sold was a full game or the whole game. It was the whole game. Okay. Yeah, but no, it's like, it's like in the, in the fucking chest cavity where like, you know, lungs should be, it's just hurting. Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. Anyway. So why don't you, uh, Nico, why don't you d- give Dead Man some medicine to wash away the numbers? <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'll try here. Um, okay, let's talk about some uh, Seven to Eternity by uh, Image Comics. Now, if you, either of you guys checked this series out, I remember I talked about the first issue, I think. I just out. looked at it. I've never read it. I read the first issue. Okay. I mean, the biggest takeaway from this, and uh, speaking uh, truthfully, uh, you know, uh, objectively as I can, because, you know, I, I, I am a big Remender fan, so obviously I'm going to usually check out all the books that he brings out from Image. But the big takeaway for me in this series has been the outstanding, amazing, fucking... Oh, godly art that's been that's been produced from this book just like the book takes me a while to even read because it's so dense and it's such a big world building fantasy series um and even kind of complicated to follow at times um but the art uh 
uh, from Jerome Opeña, which is somebody who Remender's worked on, you know, books in the past with, and he's also worked on, you know, with Hickman worked on him in Avengers at the start of his run years ago. And, um, Remender's worked with him on certain books. Uh, he, he's just so, so, so good. And, um, the issue seven just came out a couple weeks ago and, uh, for two issues because they're telling a flashback story, I guess, of a couple of the characters that are involved in the journey in this book, which I'll talk about in a moment. Um, they, they brought on uh, James Heron and James Heron is uh, an artist who worked on the book uh, Rumble. I know you talked oh, yeah, about Rumble. it. Dead Rumble's great. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he, he's a great artist as well. And uh, usually with these type of books that um, image puts out, I'd like to, keep the kind of creators the same in terms of like the art team and the writer and uh remender always has a good eye for artists like he works with some of the best artists that he brings on his books and um but in this case like i posted some of the art in the chat here um i was fine with him being a fill-in artist for two issues because drama pena is not a fast artist by any means but uh yeah with, with the level, level of detail he does you can't yeah. really be fast no, absolutely not. And and so for him coming in and telling a story that's not taking place in the current time of the storyline. That would be I like asking the guy well. who sorry, that'd be like asking the guy who draws one punch man to be quick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, even with a fucking team of assistants, that's he's right. still like those motherfuckers those motherfuckers put in work. <laughs> um yeah, no, exactly. Uh, so, but James Heron is great, great substitute. Um, I thought this, the, this particular issue, number seven, and I'm looking forward to number eight that, uh, that he was, te- he was telling, um, was, uh, really, really good. Um, if you take a look at the art, uh, so, so basically the story is about, uh, uh the, uh, somebody called the Mud King, who is, uh, also called the God of Whispers in this world. And he's somebody who, uh, he can see, like, the wishes and like darkness that uh, men hide in their hearts. And basically uh, he's able to grant them those wishes by seeing if they allow them, the people to see through their eyes. So like he basically enslaves a bunch of people and has a bunch of people under his reign uh, because he's able to basically like see through every single person that agrees to basically, you know what I mean? To give, give um, him a way of, uh, of seeing through them and kind of being able to take over their bodies and kind of thing. So he's like, he's present always throughout this world. And in a way, everybody's basically bowing to him and under his control, under his spell, because they are basically bowing down to him and basically saying, yeah, you you have uh, if you grant our wishes, I will be one of your basically your your slaves. Yeah, to, the deal with the devil. You know. Exactly, and um, and if the story starts out with um, them talking about uh, the Mozak Knights, which is a group of different type of interesting creatures in this world, and 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 men and people of different species um, who basically um, they dare to oppose him, and it's about this guy named uh, uh, Zebosidus, and Zebosidus is. Um, was uh, Adam Osiris's Osiris's um, father? So the story starts out with him, and basically he was one of the first men that kind of stood up to him with the Mozak Knights, and basically said, "No, I won't be part of your 
your slavery and I won't basically bow down to you and let you do what you wish. And they kind of opposed him, but then they, he got shunned out by his brother knights because of him standing up against this and deciding for them that this is not something that he wanted to uh, get into. So as a result, they've been kind of on the outskirts and kind of shunned out by these Mozak knights. And uh, the story starts out with Adam basically um, again, grabbing a group of them and, and trying to take a stand uh, against the uh, the God of Whispers. And basically, um, they're able to break uh, the link between him and all the people that he has control over for the time being uh, within the first arc of the story, which is like the first four or five issues, which would be the, the volume one that you see in Birdie. Uh, so they, uh, but there's a moment in the story where he's alone with the Mud King and what the other people in his party, uh, are not aware of is that Adam's dying. Like he has like some sort of like, it's almost like a cancer or something like something's killing him. Uh And he's basically, he wants to do this one last thing before his family, um, before he dies and his family is left without him there to protect him against these people in this world. So he wants to basically set out on this journey to do this one last thing. And he's banded together again with the Mozak Knights and they're all kind of in this together to kind of take down the Mud King and just, and, and, and it's very, very high fantasy type stuff. Like there's an interesting part in the last issue where they're basically on their journey now as a group and hence the name seven to attorney. There's like seven of them. Uh, at one point, anyways. <laughs> so um, they're on they're on their journey, and uh, and uh, they get to uh, cross in the ro- uh, fork in the road, and they can go one way, which will take them faster to their destination, of course, which is much safer. Or they can go into this haunted uh, swamp where they're going to be most likely killed. <laughs> so, so naturally, we go, go to- down the path yes. for certain doom. Exactly, um, because that is the quicker way and the way that they most likely will not be followed. Uh, and so they head into the swamp and then with that issue ending, um, they kind of went into this flashback on two of the characters that are kind of with the group right now, um, for, you know, for James Hare and I guess for, for Jerome Pena to catch up now. So it's just a wonderful, really fun, interesting story. Like I said, it is very dense, uh, but the world building and the creatures and the art and all like the kind of things they're learning in it so far. And, and just, I like the idea of like a fantasy based kind of journey almost, I know it sounds like kind of Lord of the Ringish in that way, but it's not that. Like I assure you, like it is much. I think darker than that, and also, uh, Remender's doing a good. Because like, I don't like 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 Dead Man, like you've stated. Like I don't like certain fantasy stuff, but some stuff, depending on like the actual, um, like depending if there's like a twist or some sort of thing that kind of hooks me. And th- and th- and this, I wouldn't. I'd be lying if I like. I said I, I am a fan of Remender, and I do love everything they're doing on this book so far. So, um, so yeah, I, uh, I definitely check it out. Like I said, it, it is worth checking out the trade. I would say, you know, over the issues, cause it is a dense storyline and, uh, but I'm, I'm on board and I think it's just some of the best art that's on the stands today. Like we're talking about, um, James Stokoe level art. If you've seen like Jerome Mokena. Yeah. And details. Yeah. From what I've seen, I wouldn't go quite that far, but I can see it's good art. Mm-hmm. Well, the person that I put it in the art in there—that's the James Heron issue. But the Jerome Pena issue, I would say, um, yeah. Well, I use Stoko as a as a as an example, just kind of the the level of details that are involved in uh, okay, Jerome Pena. Actually, yeah, kind of funny, so. like, like bringing up Stoko, like the art from Pena and the art from Heron. What kind of different ends of the spectrum for like a Stoko? Like on like on the Pena side, you got the fucking detail, and then over on the 
Heron side, you just have the fucking level of energy in the artwork. Like looking at, yeah. like, like looking at this. This is like this is like Stoko minus the detail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I can see what you're saying. There is definitely a lot of um, more. We really need to find other artists to suck the dick of because I feel like we're getting a bit. I feel like we're getting a bit to the level of like this is getting a bit ridiculous. You think, you think Stoko's getting a bit dry? Yeah, like he needs to fucking like have a nap, eat a sandwich or something, drink a glass of water. <laughs> Yeah, no, I just know that for a while there we were kind of always going on and on about his art, so that's obviously the quick, uh, the quick sell for me to like, you know what I mean, bring his name up. But yeah, um, he, but Jerome Pena is a great artist in his own right. Like I, uh, yeah, I posted a couple of things that he was kind of doing in the chat. Not that those are the best probably pages that I could find, but um, just to give you an idea of what his stuff looks like if you haven't seen it. So yeah, yeah, I um, yeah there is a another, there's a second artist working on this too. On what? On Seventh Eternity? Yeah, according to Image, anyway. J- well, James. Well, James Heron is was the second one that I just said that. No, I mean, no, I mean, like on like the fucking like first issue, like the cover, like the thing they say brought to you by Rick Remender, Drew Pena, and another person. Mm, not that I know of. Did someone else ink the first issue? I don't know because I know Matt Hollingsworth is the colorist. Yeah, they but... they, they list Hollingsworth as the art as like art and cover. Oh, okay, yeah, he's mainly the colorist. I know that. Like, yeah, that's he adds a lot with his colors. Absolutely. Like, I mean, you know, that's why I know colorists don't get talked about as often. Um, you know, uh, but he does add, definitely add a lot to this book as well. I would say, yeah. So, so yeah, uh, Seven Attorney, definitely check it out uh, if you haven't. Uh, I would suggest to any of the listeners there. And the first volume is out in stores right now, and I think the second arc will be wrapping up soon. So you'll probably begin the second volume out in a couple months as well. Uh, second volume uh, out the, in October. Yeah. Okay. So there you go. And the thing about the nice thing about Remender is uh, he works with so many of these good artists, and for all his image series, he always does an oversized hardcover after the first two or three trades. Which, if you if you're a fan of the oversized hardcovers for his stuff, I usually always pick up the oversized hardcovers, just because the artists he works on deserve that format. I think of this series that he does. So, like, uh, not every series does, but I think that the the artist he works with, West Wes Craig on Deadly Class, and uh, you know he worked on Sean Murphy on Tokyo Ghost, things like that. Like he he definitely works with really really good artists that yeah. deserve it. So uh, so yeah. All right, then. Yeah. So for my first book, um, let's talk about the Marvel book before we get into Aftershock. All right. So Spider-Man 2. This yeah. is, uh, this is the follow-up. So did it answer all your lingering questions? Fuck no. Not yet. <laughs> nope. It, the one question it did answer is, will this be as good as that other one was from the jump? And the answer is no. Yeah, I agree. This first issue I, uh, is a bit rough. I thought it was okay. I didn't hate it, but... No, I didn't, yeah. I didn't hate it. It's just... Yeah. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. I agree. It's a bit you, Spider-Man but... overload. Mm-hmm. Like, like, for so long in the, like the, in like the other Spider-Man books, uh, Peter Parker has been so very much not Peter Parker. Mm-hmm. That with this one, they are... Like, um, Bendis is trying to get back to Peter Parker. But it feels like he overcorrected and turned way too hard because there is 
because there's a point in this where the, so so Miles and Peter the the book starts out with the two of them uh, webbed up or tied up to some fucking crane thing while a plane's escaping. They try to break free, mm-hmm. and Peter's like, "Hey, no, this is all my fault. I should have never let you be Spider Man." And then it gets back to a few days pre- previously. Where Miles is, like, doing school shit, Peter is fighting the armadillo and equipping about the fact that he is fighting a guy called the armadillo. Right. Yeah. Yeah, very jokey Spider-Man. Uh, Bendis uh, stayed true to the uh, jokey version of him, for sure. <laughs> it's quipping. Yeah, and so... And so, yeah, so Peter's fighting the armadillo, and then he beats him, and then a big bunch of purple bullshit comes flying out of the fucking sky... Like it did in that first ball, like it did in that first book. Um, Miles is hanging out at his school, a little talking to a person. Then a robot ball lands on the fucking ground in front of him, and then a bunch of purple bullshit comes flying out of the sky. So two of them go meet up, and at this point, I, I somehow wish I could rip my own ears out to keep myself from reading quips. You mean that super long joke that he made when they're talking about the uh, <laughs> the actual. Uh portal thing or whatever it is no i'm talking about every interaction they have in this fucking thing because because everything of it is like fucking right peter's equipped miles responds with a semi-quip peter responds to the quip they quip the quip the quip and just fucking like quip to the quip to the nth degree with these motherfuckers i didn't mind that even when the fucking taskmaster (laughs) comes out and it's like oh yeah we're gonna fucking die like there is no sense of like actual urgency it feels like even even the fucking taskmaster gets in the goddamn quip, which is weird as hell because it feels like taskmaster coming through is supposed to be like this big thing, and like Peter is saying, "Hey, this guy's a real threat." But when he comes through and then fucking responds to the response to a quip about him, none of it felt like there was any level of actual weight behind anything that was being said. Like e- even with the fucking like giant portal opening up to another dimension, the both stand there like it's a portal, all right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not even, not even curious about what the actual portal was doing, or where it was going to, or how it was doing what it was doing. Even though they were talking about that, it never felt like they were actually trying to figure that out, or were even interested in figuring that out. Yeah, no, you're I not think, wrong on that. I think it, it's becoming increasingly clear, and even in the movies, Marvel has an over-quipping problem. Absolutely. I think like Spider-Man's the worst because it's kind of the character we tend to expect it the most from. Mm-hmm. But it's it, but particularly with you. Oh, okay, so for example, look at this this summer's big box office movies. Both Wonder Woman and Spider Man were funny. They had moments of genuine yeah. humor, but Wonder Woman's humor a lot of the time came from like a sincere difference in understanding between characters, or like forced moments of just like it, how it's how things are read, like when. Uh, Steve Trevor says, I'm going to take you to the front. This is a really bad idea. We're probably going to die. And stuff like that. So that's not like, that's not making a snarky comment. That's just the character somewhat humorously dealing with the stress of the situation. In Spider-Man Homecoming, even though I thought it was funny all the way throughout, there were moments where I thought, okay, you didn't need a joke there. Mm. Like, for example, when... um, Spoiler for the first half of the movie, I guess, when t- when uh, the vulture kills mm-hmm. one of his henchmen, 
Mm. And you think it's because, oh, it's like he doesn't want anyone ratting on him. He's just, he's that cold now. And then they end the scene with him saying, I thought this was the anti-grab gun. It's yeah. that, that, that scene didn't need a joke. And there's a lot, there's several moments like that in Spider-Man. I was like, okay, stop with the quipping. That's just, it's taking me out of the situation. And I think in particular, certain series I've managed to avoid it. Like the, the ones that still have writers who can look at them somewhat sincerely, like Kamala Khan, which is funny because she's, she's so young and quippy herself, but she's so exuberant that she tends to get past just the, basic blatant quippiness of some of the older snarkier characters yeah and like over but in the I, miles morales spider-man book he's not that quippy like yeah there's humor in there but a lot of the stuff is actually right. dealing with some very like heavy shit right well well, well why which uh, i was gonna say which is why and i totally agree with you that about how main jokes were flying in this issue but I didn't mind it as much because of the fact that I haven't been reading any other Spider-Man other than Miles Morales Spider-Man. And so this dose of this type of quippy Spider-Man, I've actually been really lacking in terms of like, I haven't been able to read him like this in a while. So I didn't mind it in the sense that Bendis hasn't actually written this version of Spider-Man really since the last Spider-Man. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, except for maybe on the odd chance he would show up in, like, one issue, I think, of that Miles Morales series, but... Yeah, but, again, it felt like an overcorrection. Yeah. No, I I, I agree with you. You can't go too far in the other direction. Like, for example, people thought Adam West made Batman too silly and impossible to take seriously. I didn't want them to take from that that what we should get out of that is Batman versus Superman Dawn of Justice. Yeah. What I also appreciated, though, is he is fighting a fucking D-less character like the Armadillo. You don't see him very doing very much Iron Man-ish things in this issue. Oh, no, like, like, like him, him fight the Armadillo. It. Him fight the Armadillo, that's fine. Yeah. But, yeah. Like, no, I just mean, like, it he, It seemed like he wasn't trying to do Dan Slott's Spider-Man in this, which uh, I appreciated. You know what I mean? Like, I... I, I that's, that's that's what I'm saying. It was refreshing in the sense. I think other just, writers at Marvel are but, starting to get to the point where they're sick of Dan Slott's Spider-Man as we are. Because, like I said, that I don't give Silk much credit, but I have to kind of give Silk credit for someone writing the line. You know, Black Cat, you kind of suck as a villain. <laughs> yeah, and like I'm like I'm I'm rereading this thing. I'm like him finding the armadillo. It's one joke for like five pages. Yeah, uh, no, no, you're right. It was a lie. It was so a lie. That- so it sounds like how when Carr was discussing Ultimate Power last week, where he was, or this week, where he just was annoyed at the constant padding by never-ending quippy dialogue. Yeah, a little bit. Mm-hmm. And like, it, and like, what especially makes it bad is that like, is like the quips from like that first five pages, they aren't even like him talking to the armadillo. Mm-hmm. Like, like, I would, like, if it was just like him actually like talking to the armadillo, it would be a bit better because, like, because like his whole thing is that Spider-Man quips when he's fighting because he is scared to death. And that's the only way to keep him from shitting himself. Right. But this was internal monologue. He didn't I say know, a goddamn it was thing. Monologue quipping. Yeah, no, you're right. <laughs> yeah, armadillo just screamed obscenities, and Spider-Man didn't say a fucking word as he just cold beat down this motherfucker. I'll tell you what annoyed me the most. I really hope that's another uh, universe of Taskmaster because this costume change 
although I can appreciate the effort, you don't change the Taskmaster's costume. It, like, it, I was kind of annoyed by that. It has it's a to classic be. costume. I mean, it is. I, I mean, that's what I mean. I hope so. But I mean, he went. He stepped through a fucking portal. Like, was, what was the Taskmaster just right. like, like vacationing in another fucking dimension? Who knows? I mean, <laughs> I, I, I don't know, but I, but that's what I mean. Like, I really hope it is because, like, I love that costume, the Taskmaster. Like, as 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 cheesy as it is, but like, this was they were trying to make him look even more badass somehow, like in this version, right? But yeah, so yeah, and anyways. so and so then we uh, so then the issue ends with the big reveal. At least the physical, like, appearance reveal of who the mainline universe Miles Morales is. And it's... Was it satisfying? Fuck no. no. <laughs> it is no. the most fucking generic possible thing you could think of. Oh, really? We're in, oh my god, some guy territory. Pretty much. Basically. It's like, hey, look, it's a guy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought it was... Um... What the hell is that? the last uh, time that joke Punisher came up villain. on the show? I uh, feel like that's come up before. A while back, probably in the movie's podcast. What? What's that? What the fuck's um, that Punisher villain called? Um, what's Bush his name? The one with all the... Uh, no, no. The one with all like uh, the, scar, like, the scars on his face. Yes. That's what this guy fucking... I thought it was him at first. I was like, Jigsaw's the mother Miles Morales? <laughs> yeah, he's got like, scars on his face, right? It's, yeah, like, like it's his, whole, his, whole thing, his whole thing is that like it shows him from behind. Like, it show, like First, we get an establishing shot of like this really big, fancy mansion. Or, yeah. like, or like some kind of really fancy property. And... Yeah, it's, it's a guy coming home, like, walking his fucking dog. And he goes into, like, his fucking gatehouse, and then his maid is like, hey, there's trouble in New York. Uh, Taskmaster is there somehow. And then he says, I'm sorry, Mr. Morales. And then cuts to the, the guest to his fucking face. He has some scars. Like, he has one on, like, a, he has, like, one on his forehead, one going from his forehead down over his eye to his cheek, one across the nose, one across the lip. It looks like someone fucking crazy with a character creator in, like, an RPG. Yeah. So, so, so what you're saying is it was incredibly underwhelming for something you were expecting a lot of, which is the opposite. I don't know if you had the same reaction I did when it was revealed, when this was revealed in Spider-Man Homecoming, that freaking Voss was playing the Scorpion. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh my god, yes! (laughs) Oh man, yeah, that is... That was really good. I'm I'm really looking forward to that. I really hope that that actually becomes something. The guy who played uh, Scorpion in the movie, yeah, yeah that's he was the yeah, he was Voss from Breaking in, Bad. He was Voss in Far Cry Three. Oh, okay, yeah, I know, I know him from uh, Better Call Saul, the Breaking Bad. Yeah, well, that's a, that's a that's an equally crazy role, but yeah. now I, I have to try. I'm have to try really hard not to put Voss clips on top of the Scorpion when that movie comes out. <laughs> Just every time he appears, start fucking putting on paper planes. <laughs> Just every once in a while. Just have I ever told you the definition of insanity? But anyway, I've derailed this interesting conversation. I'm sorry. That's all right. But yeah, like when when I when when we got that initial like at the end of Spider Man, when we got fucking Peter mm-hmm. coming back, like Google searching Miles Morales and then going, "Oh God." This yeah, I try not to let stuff like that build me up anymore because, particularly in recent 
Marvel, particularly Marvel comics, a lot of that's just not satisfying anymore. If I try to build myself up for any no, of it, that, no, like, that wasn't that wasn't a build up. That was that was like, all right. So, what is the most boring fucking idea we could think of? Oh, a criminal with like face scars or whatever. Right. You what? You want to know something crazy right. though? Fucking crazy. So, what are, so you're saying it would have been funnier if he was like a Mister Rogers type? Oh, absolutely. Like it would be fucking. A, it would like be fucking hilarious. He had like a like a an old granny style Facebook page with pictures of cats. <laughs> yeah, you just just see him with his like weird little like China doll collection, like waving to the mailman before he goes out and slits somebody's throat. Yeah, he he, he talks like uh, Ned Flanders, except when he um, is leading his own heavy his own death metal band. <laughs> yeah, like something like you know that. What's... But instead, it is. Instead, it is. Hey, look, this guy's a criminal. He has face scars, but he wears a tracksuit? What? You know what's so crazy, though? It was five years ago. Face scars? <laughs> what was that, Bernie? So it's just Cousin Roman, but with face scars? Yeah, basically. Just, ah, Cousin, let us go bowling. But instead he gets weird yeah, looks when he goes to the bowling alley. Okay. I'm just going to say it. I don't think when... Brian Michael Bendis came up with Ultimate Spider-Man, Miles Morales. He was actually giving all that much thought to who would his who would his father be in the mainstream universe. And if they had never brought it up as an issue, I think people would have just been fine with, okay, they never address it. Like, I can see why you would be upset that they never addressed it. Like, I, I mean, I've been listening to you for months. Yeah. But, uh, if it was just something Dude, like well, everyone just years. went with it, yeah. If, if the people just went with it and like didn't talk about it, never brought it up ever, I would just be like, okay. But the pro- well, once you bring it up, you have to either do something unexpected or live up to expectations. And the longer you wait to do that, the worse it's going to get. So you're, you're going to end up with Duke Nukem Forever territory of, wow, that's disappointing. Yeah, like, the only the only thing that's kind of interesting is it appears he takes more after his the Hispanic side of his family than the black side of his family this time around. Okay. Because he is, like, lighter skinned and it appears he has, like, longer hair, but not, like, it, it's, 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 like, longer but a bit thinner than you, than, like, when what happens when, like, black people grow their hair out. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, and it's all fucking slicked back because, of course, it fucking is. Because you've got, because you've got, to, you can't be the sleazy tracksuit gangster unless you slick your hair back. I, I don't. We should. I don't even know what the fuck. It, this it'd is. actually be funnier. It'd be funnier if he was a black exploitation villain. <laughs> yeah, this fucking pimp walks <laughs> up with his like three foot brim hat. It would. It would make his fucking tiny pomeranian dog make more sense. Because that's how we introduced him. He's running into yeah. a fuck. He's like jogging back into a gated community, wearing yeah. a fucking tracksuit, but like one or, of those, really, uh, but like one of those really expensive tracksuits. Yeah. Okay. This this shows you what movies I've been watching recently. Dead Man. It, it turns out his his father um, stole the technology of Stilt Man and put it into like bell bottoms into like uh, the platform shoes with bell bottoms. <laughs> <laughs> I need to watch Undercover Brother again. <laughs> I love that movie. It's a great fucking movie. <laughs> there we have Spider-Man 2. Mm. 
the other question that it does seem to like bring the other one question that does seem to answer is Miles Morales is fully aware that he comes from another universe because that was a question that I had that I had brought up Ooh, on this podcast. Does that, does, does that mean we can get a Rick and Morty moment where he finds himself buried somewhere? I mean, depending on how this book goes. Like, do you think Bendis is ballsy enough to do that, where he oh, goes God, in, no. finds his... <laughs> Bendis nor editorial have the have the fucking cojones to do that. Because, <laughs> like, if you're talking about incredibly long-lasting moments from Rick and Morty that just keep being both funny and touching, the fact that Morty has that scene with his sister where he says, I'm literally buried out back. And it's the version of me that you're aware of. You just can't tell the difference. <laughs> yeah. At least to this long existential thing that just everyone's just sort of having to be content with life. I would kill it if a mainstream comic had the balls to get away with that, but I don't see it happen. No, <laughs> no, they not don't. with a marquee um, title. <laughs> no, nah, in this, uh, it is. So, like, the question that I had was that um, Miles in this. Since since Miles was brought over to the mainstream universe, there has been no mention or any real indication that he is aware that he came from the Ultimate Universe. Okay, so and this confirms that to be true. No, this confirms this confirms, no, this confirms that he's it's that, this confirms that he's aware of it. Yes. Okay. Yeah, because so is that what, a benefit you know, or a or a detriment? Uh, it helps me because I don't have okay. to think about it anymore. Because I'm just sitting there like, wait, if Peter Parker never died, then how does this Miles... If this Miles Morales never had the experience of watching a Peter Parker die, then how does he know to be Spider-Man? Because that was, that was the thing. Like, like coming, coming over, it like when that fucking first issue of Spider-Man came out, and it was Miles Morales in the fucking mainline universe, there was no fucking recovery thing. There was no like fucking backstory thing of like, hey, here's what happened. Here's what's different. There was no omit. It was mm-hmm. just... It was just like, hey, yeah, he's here. Remember that? Remember that all that other shit you read? Yeah, that all happened. So fuck you. Confused? Eat a dick. Pretty much, yeah. But but now it is everything that everything that happened in that fucking Ultimate Spider-Man book did happen. Miles remembers it, but now he's living over here, and his mom's not dead. So everybody just fucking calm your tits. the one really great thing about this book. I gotta say, like, even the fucking Sarah Pacelli art seems to have gotten a bit worse. Like, I've read the, I've read, uh, Spider-Men very recently and relatively frequently because I really just fucking love those, like, couple panels where Aunt May sees Peter, realizes that it's Peter, and just fucking breaks down. Well, that's what I was gonna mention was, I think... Not that Spider-Man first one was bad anyway, because I love that series, uh, miniseries, and um, it started off better than this. I think that not till you got to the middle of that story did it really, really take off because of the emotion, emotional resonance that all of those characters had. Like, you were carrying so much story from the Ultimate Spider-Man going into that already, and kind of, I think, I think it was the emotion isn't lax in this first issue of this new series. And like, you know what I mean? Like it yeah, has absolutely. none of that. And I think, I hope 
somewhere along the, the line throughout this series, he actually goes back to something like that. And these two characters are able to have some sort of a moment, but like that, I don't think that he's going to capture the same thing though. And, and I get what you're saying about the Pacelli art. Cause I don't know if it's worse, but it's different. She's definitely changed her style somewhat. And I do prefer the other version as well. Like you said, like five years ago, which is yeah, weird like, to say, like the, like, uh, you know what I mean? Cause yeah, like, yeah, in, like in, so. in the old Pacelli thing, like Spider-Man the artwork had a bit more, Characters, characters in this look weird. Like, like especially like human people, they look a bit off. Mm-hmm. Something different about it. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't think it's bad, but it's not what it was, and which is weird because, like I said, that Spider Man, which I thought was crazy, was five years ago. Five years ago, that series. <laughs> So they took a long ass time to come back to this, right? Yeah, well, so, well I mean, like they, I mean, like I, from what I've what I've heard, like Bendis had an original plan for Spider Man two, but then Secret Wars, but then they began like building up the Secret Wars, and right. so Marvel's just like, hey, uh, maybe don't. Yeah, it kept getting pushed back to the side. Yeah. Well, yeah, Spider Man yeah. two, not off to a great start. Mm, we'll see yeah. where it goes. Yeah, I'm still gonna read the. I, the whole series. Oh, definitely, of course. I agree. Of course it's am. not. It wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't a strong first issue, though, for sure. Yeah. Anyway, Birdie. All right. Well, this time I will attempt to save my somewhat weirdest one for last and talk about something normal. Second, um, <laughs> and this last one, the last one's not nearly as weird as the nail. I swear, it's just it looks weird and acts weird. Um, so instead, let's talk about Aquaman, because I've finally gotten a chance to read it Die. Um, in, in two parts. Uh, I'm going to I'm gonna technically do two versions of this, because I'm in addition to starting to read from the beginning of Rebirth Aquaman, which is great, and like I told Deadman, I can't wait to continue reading this storyline, which, based on the second part I read, ends in a pretty interesting way. <laughs> oh, your boy joined the book now, your guy's fab artist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. I yeah, know. the guy who's yeah, yeah, pronounced correctly is to Jep and Sajic, motherfuckers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so just getting it out of the way first, since you guys have both talked about it quite a bit, uh, Dan Abnett and Scott Eaton's Aquaman is great. And I was talking about this to Dead Man after I finished reading the first volume and looking at the second one. I want a Wonder Woman movie sequel more than I want an Aquaman movie. But I can see much better and more potential Aquaman movies than I can potential Wonder Woman sequels. Oh yeah. Why because Wonder Woman shot itself in the fucking foot by murdering all their fucking excited characters? Yep. Like, have you seen Wonder Woman, Nico? Yeah. Okay. So are are you with us in that this we think the movie made a somewhat odd decision to say at the beginning, oh yeah, uh, Ares killed the Greek pantheon. Do you think it's an odd choice that they decided to say that? Oh yeah, yes. because, because <laughs> yeah. like a good... Yeah. Like, no, uh, no, I was, I was clarifying what you said. I didn't... I, yeah. I, I, yeah, okay, yeah. Because without, without sure. the Greek pantheon, the only villain left that they have to do Wonder Woman movies with is Cheetah. And you can't make a right. movie around yeah, Cheetah. Cheetah's, <laughs> Cheetah's not a grand plan fucking third act kind of person. She's like... She she's like a mid boss. I, I I just thought the weakest part about it was the end fight scene with. Well, yeah, because that was, it, it, it's actually yeah. been proven that that was written by Zack Snyder, and it looks ah. and feels like it was written by Zack Snyder because <laughs> well, he's given a story a credit for for the movie. Right, because, I've seen that. 
Okay. Yeah. But no, I just like I really liked the first Wonder Woman, and of all the DC movies, it's the one I most want another one of. Mm-hmm. But like I said, Definitely. they shot themselves in the foot. Whereas having now read both this version of Aquaman and becoming more aware of his character and his place in the universe, I want to see a movie first where Arthur Curry grows up and eventually has to confront his half-brother Orm to retake Atlantis. And then in the sequel, somewhere in the first movie, he somehow killed uh, the father of Black Manta and now has to deal with that in the present. Yeah, like there is so much fucking... There, Aquaman has Aquaman has legs, dude. Yeah, it just has to be used, and it's weird that they've now announced the Aquaman movie. Like it's like it's announced, and there's trailer, there's trailer images and everything. Mm. And I'm still, it, it even got an actress I kind of like playing Mira, but I'm just like, <laughs> that's the old world, man. You're still picturing seahorses. No, it's not even that. It's the fact that, well, one, Jason Momoa, I don't think, works as Aquaman based on the Justice League trailers. Which um, He really doesn't. I, I want to tell you something, Deadman. When I got, when I, I saw Wonder Woman with Jimmy, and when I, when we got, when we were in the movie watching, when we finished watching the Justice League trailer, the first thing he, he whispered to me before the movie started was, you can't crap on it yet. Because Jimmy is the defender of Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice, and he he knew oh. my opinions of that movie. Oh. <laughs> I'm kind of glad I don't podcast with him anymore. Jesus Christ! Uh, so yeah, it, 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 he knew how I reacted at that moment when Brodush Aquaman came on and went, "Yeah, yeah." <laughs> but yeah, so I, so yeah, this version of of Aquaman who is temp- who is attempting to be both a strong leader of his own people and a compassionate, sane leader in a geopolitical context with, oh God, I just realized that um, this version of Aquaman has been dealing with Barack Obama up to this point. Let's get us to deal with Trump. Oh, this fish man. Fishmen are coming from Mexico. We got got to stop all this fish man. We got to build a net. What we got to do is we got to build a coastal wall. It'll be huge. (laughs) I have my team. Uh, I have my team dumping six pack rings off the off the coast of fucking Florida. We're gonna get the shit done. Yeah, they make the coastline great again. <laughs> yeah, the fish will pay for it. Aquaman, I know fish are worth something. Aquaman, so sad. He's fucking hanging out in the ocean all day. Can't fucking walk on land. What the fuck's up with that? I'm sorry. I keep, I, I seem to keep der- derailing everything with references in the show, but yeah. Uh, so I mean, I've only read the first two volumes, and I really liked both of those, particularly the way Aquaman has to handle both kind of opposing the Justice League and the entire his own kingdom and the United States of the America to do what's right. Yeah. Does it get? Does it still keep going well from there up until the end of Dan Abnett's run? Uh, yeah. I, I think. Yeah, I think so. Um, they are. Like I know, I kind of figured out what happens at the end of Dan Abnett's run from looking at the Sajep and Sajik issues. I can't remember the uh, the author of those issues. I'd have to bring it up, but it's. It, I'm still interested, if nothing else, for um, mute fish chick who uses bioluminescence to give people underwater seizures. That's Dolphin, I think. Is that her name? Okay, I didn't get her name from it. Wait, Dan Abnett didn't write the Sajic issues. I don't. No, think they so. switched right. They, they switched writers and and 
artists mm. after after the initial run. Which, to be fair though, this looks more promising than say the switch from Greg Rucka to whoever the new person is on Wonder Woman. Oh no, wait, Dan Abnett is writing this. Oh, he is. Okay, cool. Yeah, Never still mind. Dan Abnett. Like so. I, I, okay. I haven't read them. I just looked at the pages for Siege, and I was like, "Wow!" I'm like, "Those look great." Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah they really do look great. Like as part of um, when this group of of Atlantean terrorists are fighting Aquaman in this other on this other sit this other colony uh, outside, they have to stop attacking Aquaman because Mira is just summoning the ocean to batter on the city, and she has this. One of Sajik's greatest things as an artist is he has the greatest "bitch, I will fuck you up" faces. Yeah. <laughs> his faces are his faces are one of the strongest aspects of his art, on top of everything else. Particularly women. Oh yeah, that. <laughs> most of my one memories I, of fucking Sunstone are just the fucking faces. One yep. thing that I liked about the pages I seen were that he actually took the time to show like the hair floating underneath the water yeah you know what i mean like the actual characters which like most people when they actually will draw an aquaman comic you don't see that that often which i appreciated like not that i've you know read too many aquaman comics but the fact that he did that i thought was a really nice touch like you show like you could tell they're underwater the the one weird thing about um sajik's design for aquaman is that we're going with bearded aquaman but with short hair and without the hook because I'm, I'm used when I'm when I think of bearded Aquaman, I think hook hand and long hair. Yeah, I'm not mm. used to like the 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 still flow the short flowing locks and the bright orange uh, gill suit. So yeah, what no, ends up want, happening you is want him out there fucking, it, you want him out there fucking shirtless stabbing people. Yeah, so what ends up happening is he kind of looks like Thor just underwater. <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah, but that's, give, that's, give not, him, that's not like the that's story. not like a bad. Given the story, yeah, it is I, understandable why he has a beard. No, I understand that from a story standpoint, it's not really a problem. It's just a weird thing I noticed. Yeah, yeah. But so yeah, I mean, I'm just I'm super stoked to keep reading Aquaman. It's yeah. probably uh, if if it weren't for the fact that um, I because w- I was at this comic store reading some of these for about an hour. If it weren't for the fact that I was kind of behind on uh, Kyle Higgins Power Rangers, I probably would have just kept reading them. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's but great. Power Rangers takes priority. Yeah, that, that's that, great to say. That, that totally Aquaman's fair. doing good. Yeah, I know it's it just, is. It's. Uh, are you happy, Dead Men? I, 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 I kind of am. I kind of am. Like, I can be able to sit Dang down up. and say, "Hey, guys, Aquaman is great," and like not be one of those, yeah. and not be like just fucking. Yeah, and also not have, and also have the excuse to say, "Fuck you, Aquaman is actually cool." Yeah, yeah, Aquaman's fucking great. Yeah, Grand. I wish this was the Aquaman we were getting in the movies, and not whatever the fuck. DCEU is doing, but maybe, uh, well, actually, I guess whenever Young Justice Season 3 comes out, we'll probably get something close to this version of Aquaman, because that's uh, that shows Aqua and Aquaman have an interesting relationship that'll play out. Yeah, totally. And always. It's gonna be cool. Yeah. So, yeah. If it weren't for Wonder Woman and Superman, this would probably be my favorite DC Rebirth book. Nice. All right, cool. But that's awesome. partially because I'm a that's huge awesome. Wonder Woman fan. Yeah, yeah, and that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. That's totally fair. Awesome. All right, then, nice. Nico. All right, let's uh, let's get this uh, aftershock train uh, going here. Let's. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, so aftershock uh, has been putting out some bo- uh, good books, guys. Lately, yeah. uh, if you haven't checked out a lot of them. After- 
yeah, Aftershock, which I admittingly I have not checked out many, but the ones that I have heard good things about that I have. The only one I've heard so far is Alters, and Alters is good, if a little Mm -hmm. confusing, since it's dealing with issues of trans uh, genderism in addition to the issue of. It's actually addressing the issue that X Men was, the X Men movies were just a metaphor for. Okay, so yeah, who writes that? I haven't checked that out yet. Um, Paul Jenkins, I think. I, I'll okay. bring I'll bring it up. While you talk okay. about the book, I'll bring it up. All right. Well, uh, it's no secret around here if you've been listening to the show or even big Garth Ennis fan here. And Garth Ennis brought his level level of uh, of uh, you know dark, funny humor, cartoon, over. crazy, dark yeah. weirdness. Yeah, that not many. People People actually love <laughs> Edward. Check out, but he writes books it for himself. Works. Sometimes it doesn't. It doesn't work all the time. And yes, Paul Jenkins does. Okay. He does alters. Now it's. I love Garth Ennis, but even Garth Ennis doesn't always work. See, um, Barracuda Max series. <laughs> I, I didn't mind that actually. <laughs> I like Punisher Max though. Like that. That series is ridiculous. Yeah, well, that's good. But but Barracuda Max is. No, I know. Garth Ennis doing a black exploitation yep. thing in the same level of darkness as his version of the Punisher that doesn't work for me. <laughs> sure, no, I understand that. Yeah, and uh, he is very over the top sometimes, and some of his ridiculous jokiness, uh, uh, dark humor sometimes does not come across as great as other times for sure. Um, but again, I am biased because I do enjoy most of those books, but not everything. There's a couple of books that he did for Dynamite not too long ago. I wasn't a huge fan of. Um, anyways, but this. This was great. Jimmy's Bastards, uh, number one. There's actually two issues out now. Uh, the second one actually just came out this week. But Damn you, our, Jimmy. Our, yeah. Spreading the good word of Batman versus Superman. You son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> um, stop those bastards. <laughs> and uh, what was I going to say here? Uh, damn you, Bertie. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so Jimmy's Bastards, number one, uh, and the second issue came out this week. Well, I'll just be talking about the first one. Uh, is by him and Russ Braun. Russ Braun is an artist he's worked with a few times. You, you um, last seen him with Garth Ennis on that Secret Wars book that they did. Where, do you remember that one where they landed on the island of uh, women, like Amazons? Uh, right. I forgot what yes. the hell it was okay. called. Yeah. Um, that was great, though. It was a great little miniseries that they did. Dinos- um, Dinosaur Island something? I don't know. Yeah, um, uh, where monsters dwell. Yeah, that's, we're mon- it that's it. Where monsters dwell. Yes, which was great. Great little miniseries. If you didn't end up checking that out, it really has nothing to do with Secret Wars, which was awesome. <laughs> like yeah. again, Kurt just kind of gets away with what whatever he kind of brings to the table, and you can always kind of assume that he's going to bring something that's either war related or ridiculously and, off. And this was ridiculous preacher, funny. Right? Yep. Yep. Okay, just like, I'm, I'm trying to remember. If ever, I, I think I thought I knew every single level of crazy that Garth Ennis does. I was trying to remember what the most famous one was, and I think it is Preacher. But uh, that's definitely his 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 best written series. I would yeah, say so that, that's like, his opus. He, yeah, exactly. Um, this is a very. It seems I just need, I've just been talking about spy books lately. Given I talked about Nick Fury last issue, but Jimmy's bastard. Bastards is the answer to um, what would a Garth Ennis uh, uh, James Bond comic read like? Yeah, because well, this Bastards. is straight up James Bond. <laughs> like it is fucking just yeah. a suave ass dude working for a fucking English go- English government organization, just going out shooting dudes, fucking bitches, then heading back to get cool shit. Right. 
Yeah. Sounds and, like an even a harder R rating than Kingsman. Oh, <laughs> yes. It's very over-the-top, ridiculous, funny humor, James Bond-style type of stuff. Like, well, in the first issue, this. Yeah, it's great. It's great. I, I, I love this series. If it's, a, if it's a darker and more ridiculous version of Kingsman, I have to fucking read this. The first issue starts at the end of one of his missions where he is fighting yeah. against a mad hatter-looking motherfucker, kicks him in the dick, and then a monkey with a, with an exposed brain wearing a clown outfit runs out with a gun. <laughs> yeah, so those characters are some of his uh, arch-nemesis that uh, the guy with the mad hatter type has, Theo- Theophilus Trigger, who basically yells out trigger words to offend him. So yeah. I'm just going to read you a little word balloon now that he says to him. He says, fuck you, Regent, because uh, that's his last name, so the Bond's Regent. Pregnancy, blood, abortion for dinner, retarded cousin who wanks in your dreams, fear of castration, photo of Thatcher, <laughs> rotting child with erection holes, molested by uncle, molested by nephew, savaged by badger, <laughs> dad calls you a cunt, no good at algebra, angry teacher, history of cunning man shouting rape. <laughs> so he, just, he just yells all these random offensive things to trigger people in, in order to offend them and <laughs> for crime. I guess drive them it's yeah to drive them insane or off the edge or something <laughs> so like he literally just there's just like two or three pages of him just yelling like these fucking crazy things at him as he just like punches him in the gut and throws him outside and like like knees him in the face and so, then and then yeah so, so it's now confirmation <laughs> that um garth ennis has been on tumblr <laughs> and hates it as much as i do because of all the things that he, he he's yelling here, or just Theopolis Trigger is Theopolis Trigger is that the the concept of like triggering a, as like this kind of shit that was kind right. of that was very much a Tumblr s that's very much a Tumblr thing like like Tumblr is the one who kind of like popularized and completely stripped away any meaning of the word trigger. Mm. Okay, yeah, so that's. Like, I mean, he's clearly trying to make fun of the fact that people uh, get offended at stupidness nowadays, oh, yeah. I think, as well. Yeah, so... Again, Tumblr. Um, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, no, I don't... I've never I've never been on Tumblr, so I, I, I've avoided I have, things. I have, I have seen a bunch of image galleries that are snapshots of Tumblr conversations, and they are some of the most fucking disgusting idiotic things i've ever seen i saw one person get offended at a person who wasn't deaf learning sign language because they said that was cultural appropriation you're you are stealing the culture of deaf people yeah so i'm glad i did well that's that's (laughs) just the internet for you you either have the worst of the worst just stewing in anonymity and poisoning everything around them or you have the people that are just so high on cocaine and internet trigger words that you can say the word fingernail and that somehow triggers like a racial slur conversation or something. You can't, you can't deal with either extreme. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But, uh, the and then his other nurse nemesis and, and this, uh, that monkey that he just mentioned is Bobo the bastard, the chimp clown. That's a great name. <laughs> and yeah, it's a homicidal clown uh, who basically is eating the flesh of people, and and he's got. Oh, yeah, so, so you're saying he's secretly Tim Curry? <laughs> yes, and he is uh, no, got a Albert human brain McCann. that he ends up shooting through. I just posted a picture of it in the chat here. <laughs> 
and uh and yeah and that is basically how this issue opens up as he's taking down the first london's first restaurant bl- on a blimp yeah. <laughs> from terrorists you know <laughs> get a lovely view of the fucking london's london cityscape in a fucking zeppelin he, he then kind of goes yeah because nothing bad has ever happened with a zeppelin yeah, of course not. <laughs> and then, yeah, exactly. This, I mean, this comic's absurd, like I mentioned, and but it's so much fun. And uh, and and then he goes, of course, back to headquarters to find, you know, talk to the gadget guy. He shows them something that they came up with, <laughs> based off of Trigger, uh, which is like a little like <laughs> a motorized like little car, which basically keeps on saying "you people, you people, you people." <laughs> Um, that they got the idea of basically from Trigger just to offend people, you know, with the whole you people thing. Like, yeah. you people. <laughs> like, it's like logical warfare. Yeah. And uh, and from there, you know, he gets in this awesome car to go and drink, like, at 9 o'clock in the morning, <laughs> champagne. Yeah. And he, he picks up a couple of whores in the bar. He has the new woman, uh, you know, um, agent that is, you know, his uh, basically sidekick there that's basically... Um, the one that they had to replace because he fucked the last one, very James Bond-like, and basically they had to transfer her. And uh, and now this is the new one who's basically saying, oh, you know, I know you're all about, uh, you know, region. I'm not going to fall into that trap like everybody else does. And, uh, to, you know, I'm sure she will. Yeah. Yeah, just like cut to, cut to, three, cut to three issues later. Or yeah. three, or be super self-aware. Three panels later, <laughs> and he, and he, he kind of he you know he leaves her from the bar that they go to with two whores back to the house and ends up getting a blowjob. Well, uh, well, the issue ends off with him uh, with a group of like a hidden society, like secret society people in like cloaks and uh, you know hoods uh, that are revealed to be all of his bastard children. Hence the name, Jimmy's Bastard. So there's hundreds Uh of them that are basically out to kill him and get revenge. So he has just been fucking whores in all his years of being a secret agent, I guess, and has all all these bastard children that are going to try to kill him. (laughs) I I will give Garth Ennis that. Check it out. Gunnis this. Anyone who's seen any James Bond movie would say, yeah, why hasn't that happened yet? Yeah, yeah, it is... (laughs) Very interesting concept. I liked it. Yeah, it is a it is a title that I did not get until that fucking last page. I was like, oh wait, that okay, yeah. yes, this is smart. I like this. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's literal, it's eye catching, and it's informative. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. After after eighteen pages of absurdity and 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 funny fucking moments, he goes right into the thing that is going literal to... funny fucking moments. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> whatever. That blowjob was um, hilarious. Yeah, it was actually because at first you see him on the couch laid back and you see another chick on the phone and you don't see that he's getting the blowjob and then cut to him getting the blowjob <laughs> while he's drinking champagne. They all clink champagne glasses and say cheers while the other one's got the dick in her mouth. And she's like, <laughs> and she, she makes that, some sort that of- <laughs> sounds pretty much like Garth Ennis. Garth Ennis, the height of comedy. <laughs> She says Ong Glong, actually. Sorry, I'm looking at the page right now. <laughs> he's, like, like, he's like, well, chin chin. She's like, cheers. It's like, Ong Glong. <laughs> yeah, like, Garth Ennis' ideas are very low-brow, but he's just so much more talented at doing right. it than a lot of other low-brow 
He's a good writer. Yeah, he's a good writer. Yeah, no, I never, when I, uh, you wouldn't let me finish. I was saying that, yes, he sticks to low brow, but he writes it so much better than most people who attempt this kind of humor. He's very, most of the time, this kind of, would be cringy. Yeah, and this isn't. Garth, it's, Garth just, Ennis, it's just sort of eyeball rolling because you're like, oh my god, Garth, really? Yeah, <laughs> Garth Ennis is a very intelligent, lowbrow writer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, a, there's a place for that. Oh, there's absolutely. Absolutely, dude. Lowbrow will always you have ha- a place. <laughs> you have all these things that I mentioned in this issue, but then in the last two pages of the issue, he hooks you with this great concept. You know what I mean? So it's, it's, it's yeah. a great, great yeah. series. Sounds like um, a great idea. Yeah, two issues out so far. Uh, Jimmy's Bastards from Aftershock. Check it out. All right, then. Keep the Aftershock train rolling. And speaking of secret societies, baby teeth. I heard this. Okay, you have have to explain what this is. (laughs) So Baby Teeth is a book from Donnie Cates. Uh, He's a writer who's been around for a while. Um, He's kind of getting a bit more traction as of recently. Like, uh, he did Buzzkill a couple years back. Uh, Just this recent year, he did did, uh, Redneck. Which is a book that took me way too long to get the joke in the title. <laughs> For those who don't know, Redneck is a book about is a book about redneck vampires. <laughs> it, it wasn't. Oh, until, it wasn't until it, I picked up issue four. I was like, "Fuck, that's what it means." Yeah, I've. I've, I've yeah, I, I'm sorry. I, I, I keep having pop culture references that are funny pop into my head. Uh, did you ever watch Daybreakers? Nope. Okay, it was a vampire movie from a few years ago with Ethan Hawke where vampires had taken over everything and were just running humans like a few humans were left like cattle. But a funny uh, news report that came on that I just – I didn't think about it at first. Once I thought about it, I thought it was hilarious is that um, one of the two vampire news anchors said, in other news, um, vampiric animals are the number one cause of forest fires in the world. Oh, wait, shit, right. I did see this. <laughs> I forgot this movie existed. And then just show this image of, I think it's a a, a bear wandering into the woods and it catches fire and the forest burns down (laughs) because the sun came up. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's great. Anyway. Yeah, so um, this book is about a lady who gives birth to the Antichrist. Oh shit! Yeah. So oh, God, we're in Ghost Rider Two territory. Yeah. No, actually, it, it's not because uh, it is. It's kind of it's kind of interesting. Like, like yeah, like yeah, giving birth to the Antichrist isn't really anything special. But Donny Cates does a decent job of writing it in a way that does feel at least a bit fresh. Well, I would hope so. If you're going to use a trope that old, you better write it well. Yeah. So it starts out with um with the kid's mom. Uh, whose name currently escapes me. So I'll just look that up real quick. Alright, Sadie. Sadie Ritter. Yeah, so it starts out with her in Bombay. Is her, is her, is her, is her husband named Lars? Uh, she doesn't have a husband. She is 16 years old. Damn it, Lars. Yeah, so it starts out with uh, her. Um, she is in these ruins just kind of recording a video for her son. Uh, and then it cuts to when she gives birth, which is immediately after her sister uh, threatens to kill a bunch of guys who were fucking talking to her. 
So, yeah, so they head to the hospital, and as they're going to the hospital, every time she has a contraction, an earthquake happens. And then she gives birth to her fucking kid. And it's it's kind of great, because she, she like, drops stuff. Like Did um, she come lightning bolts when she conceived him? <laughs> no, no so, like, so, like, what happens is um, every single time, um, like, 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 she's, like, she's talking about this, um, she's talking about this after the fact. She is, like, recording this video for her son long after these events have happened. I think at least a year after. So she's, so she's constantly referring to things that have yet to happen yet. Okay. Like, um, like, like when she first sees her son, her son has just these fucking like jet black eyes. Just staring at her and just, and just saying like, um, like she's like, she's saying, like, Hey, so I fucking came back and fucking saw my kid. And yeah, this guy would keep calling like the King of Ash, the void Lord, the antichrist. I just named you Clark. And it's all and it was like incredibly well done, and it was kind of immediately followed up by this really weirdly sincere moment that is kind of undercut immediately, kind of brought back. Like she names him Clark, then her kind of estranged dad shows up and says like, "Hey, after your great granddad." Then it's a thought bubble where she's thinking, "No, I named him after Superman," and then she just says, "Yeah, it's after great granddad." And it is. Yeah, and then we get into the second issue, and we see, like, the cabal of people who have been trying to prevent the Antichrist from fucking surfacing on Earth. And they get the footage, and there's this one old fucker sitting in the panel. like, God damn, is this more Antichrist shit? I thought we'd fucking dealt with that after that fucking lady over in Istanbul or whatever. <laughs> just, just this old motherfucker really exacerbated about the fact that he has to kill another baby to stop the coming of the devil. <sighs> And yeah, and over on like the side with the like um, Sadie and their family taking care of the baby, it's just really sweet. It's just like a fucking story of this fucking sixteen-year-old kid trying to navigate being a parent with the help of her sister, who is some kind of drug dealer or some kind of like she's not. She's either a drug dealer or like a really dirty cop. I'm not entirely sure. Okay. All right. Yeah, like like in the second issue, we get to like another bit of um flash forward where we see her with like a like a, like a cop clo- like collapsible baton just beating the shit out of people, and it's like, oh no, wait, that happens later, right? Now what was happening is, oh okay, yeah, this seems to be a recurring thing with this where we will get hints or we will get, we will get hints and information about stuff that is yet to happen, just kind of teasing like, hey, here's what's coming. Mm. Okay, that's interesting storytelling. Yeah, which okay. yeah. Which again, nothing we haven't seen before, but it does a decent job because because it is. We have like the very sincere story of this lady trying to raise her kid and finding out that her kid might be Satan, and then we have the crazy, insane, what happens when she finds out her kid is Satan shit. And I think it is all Hi, very Mom. well done. My name is Satan. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it is all very well done. I, I really like the writing and everything of it. Um. The thing that is a bit of a bother for me is the artwork. Okay. Yes, the artwork is done by uh, Gary Brown. Oh, I like Gary Brown. Okay. Huh. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of his art style. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not. I don't really like the way he draws faces. Um, environment stuff and like all the coloring and shading on it looks. 
kind of mm-hmm. off. I'm just not I'm just not a fan of the art style. It kind of reminds me of Jock, honestly. Yeah, see, I like Jock too. So yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm not the biggest that. fan of yeah. Jock. Like it, it, it is better. I think it is better than Jock. I think it is very messy, very inky, very a lot of blacks and stuff like that in his art, though. Right? Like that's. That's the, like, I, not, not, not even that. I'm talking about. I'm talking about like um in terms of the way that he draws people and like faces and stuff. Like, not, not even like the coloring stuff. The coloring stuff I think is fine. It actually is kind of interesting. Instead of inking, it looks like he does all with markers to the point mm-hmm. where you can like actually see, for lack of a better word, the brush strokes of the marker. Mm-hmm. And I find that kind of okay. interesting. It's just I. The way that he draws people, like the proportions are weird and kind of changing. Like when we meet one guy, uh, like when like the bullies or or whatever are like talking to Sadie before she starts having her kid. One of their necks is like it's about the size of his head, but it almost like seems to go a bit beyond his head, and it looks just really weird. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not a deal breaker. It's, right not, it's not a deal breaker or anything. Right. And. There are points where I think it actually works. There, there are points where it works really well, but mm. it is not. It's not an art style that I would actively seek out. You know, yeah, I'm looking at the pages right now. You know that what it looks kind of it, like. It kind of looks like like a shittier version. It definitely looks like Jock, but it looks like a less uh, clean version of um, the Nailbiter artist. Kind of see a little bit of that in here, but yeah, Jock definitely is a good comparison. Yeah, it's like if Jock drew Nailbiter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I read this Barbarian book by him called Black Road that Image was doing. Uh-huh. I liked his art on that, but this looks kind of different. I don't know if it's the coloring or what. Yeah, no, no. I see what you're saying though. Huh? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's still a neat book, and I, yeah, the concept sounds cool. Yeah, and I am gonna keep reading it. It is neat. How many issues are out so far? Two. Okay. Yeah, I might check this out. Yeah, two issues out at the time of recording. So if you want to get in on it, you got fucking you don't got much to catch up on. Right. Nah, this looks good. I'm definitely gonna read this. All right then, huh. Birdie. All right. Well, I, I think Dead Man's probably read this. I don't know, but it, it fits with the kind of weird he likes. Let's talk about Batman Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles adventures. <laughs> this is the follow-up ongoing series to Batman TMNT. Mm-hmm. Technically speaking, but whereas that one was just a crossover between the two franchises, this is a crossover between two specific versions of the franchises. Yeah. Right. Because this version specifically is crossing over the current CG animated Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon with the Batman stuff from Batman the Animated Series. Uh Uh-huh. And, you know, it's weird. (laughs) Yep, yeah, totally. The whole premise of it is um, Joker and Harley find... A, cr- a crank dimensional portal to the Turtles universe in their Arkham cells. Like you do. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm like, that's like a weird sense, I guess. <laughs> I'll roll with that. 
I get the impression that the writer, uh, Matthew Manning, was just like, fuck it, let's make this start. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it starts from there. And because and uh, the portals seem to be appearing all over the place. Because if I don't know if you've watched the current Nickelodeon TMNT series, Nico, but I don't. That's why I didn't check this out. Because I know yeah. Batman. I know Batman anime series. Of course, I you know, I love that series. But I wasn't as familiar with this version of the Turtles. Yeah, that's why the, I didn't pick it up. This version is it. It it walks. This version of TMNT walks the line between silly and dark, because. Mm. It will have jokes like uh, Michelangelo's pet ice cream kitty, which was a part of a mutagen accident between a pile of ice cream and a cat. Yep. So that's the kind of humor they're going for, but right. they'll still still they'll still have this shit where in like one of the later seasons, the universe was destroyed because instead of helping Shredders, instead of helping Splinter save the universe from the Krang. Um, Shredder just stabbed him when he had the opportunity and thus doomed himself in the entire universe. Okay. So that's a, that's what we're dealing with right. time-wise here. Right. Which, I mean, the Batman the Animated Series could walk the line between silly sure. and dark also. Yep. So it's not, like, it's, it's not inappropriate. Mm. But it's just... Okay, so things get weird at first when... Um, the turtles, when they start wondering where Shredder and the Krang are at this point, they find their own portals and they end up in the sewers where they fight Clayface. Naturally, I mean, when you, think, sure. when you think sewers and Batman, you think Clayface. <laughs> yeah, I would probably would have went. It would honestly make uh, a lot more sense if they fought <laughs> Croc. Yeah, like fight Killer Croc. But <laughs> yeah, even even like them, like. I'm actually kind of surprised they don't do Killer Croc v right? Leatherhead. Yeah, like that. That seems like a fucking obvious thing, <laughs> right? Maybe that's why they didn't want to do that. I don't know. That's a weird choice, though. It's like, hey, we sent them yeah. into the sewers and they fought Firefly. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, one of the funnier images is when they start u- when um the when the Batman villains start using uh Krang tech to their own devices. For example, Harley Quinn mutates her hyenas and gives them joker suits. When they fire the guns, do they make fart noises? Like they did in the first couple seasons of the show? I don't remember. I would have to look again. I looked at this very briefly. And the Turtles and Batman, of course, are both trying to figure out what's going on. So Batman follows one of his villains through to the Turtles' side. And, the, and Michelangelo being Michelangelo is like, ah, alien bat creature. And Donatello is like, look, there's probably a logical explanation for that, at which point Batgirl comes out. It's like, more alien bat creatures. <laughs> Why does everyone think and he then, looks like a bat? I don't know. Because that's the, they have to force it to make it. It's like, oh, he wanted to look like a bat to scare people. And sure, when you look at Batman, you don't see bat. You, but I see a I person. Guess, <laughs> I, I don't get it either. It's just—I think it's just a trope of both this, just Batman comics in general, where people who are unfamiliar with Batman they have to like, oh my god, I think it's a bat who's tall and kind of looks like a dude. I really like one person just like go, "Hey, Batman, why don't you dress like a bat?" And then just Bruce is just like, "But I am." All right. Didn't they do that in in the Lego Batman movie? I mean, probably. 
Like when 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 Batman was spying on Barbara Gordon at the prison, she was like, "Hey, bats! Whoa, uh, yeah. bat stealth mode." <laughs> I can still see. <laughs> I am the knight. Just runs off. <laughs> Robin, we are now going to punch people so hard. Onomatopoeias of the of the sounds we make will appear in front of us. Why is that happening? I don't know. <laughs> Pow, zap, uh. skronk. <laughs> so yeah, uh, of course, a fight ensues. I don't get what I get. I guess because they're both like the highly trained ninja type. That for some reason, whenever Batman and the Turtles meet, the fight always ends up being Batman and Leonardo. I don't know why that's always where they go. Because like because of course, reason, it is. whenever because whenever um, Raph fights Batman. He always gets his ass kicked immediately. <laughs> I, I like that's like both this and in the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Batman comics. It's like mm-hmm. Raph jumps in first, gets his ass kicked the fastest, and then either Mikey does something stupid or he starts fighting Batman starts fighting Leonardo. That's always what happens. <laughs> yeah, if if it was like going in terms of like actual skill or whatever, don't I be taken out first, then Mikey, then Raph, then Leo. Yeah, but Raph's always the kind of guy that goes in first hard-headingly and, like, gets himself, like, fucked up and caught or something like that. And then they all have to go there to, like, rescue him or something. You know what I mean? Like, no, it's, that's no, I'm talking about, like, in terms of, like, actual, like, fighting prowess. It has actually been, like, stated that that is kind of the order of from worst to oh, best. Okay. Yeah. Who's uh, the best? Like, Leonardo? Yeah. Like, like Leonardo, Leonardo's the best. Yeah, that, makes sense. Sense. that makes oh, sense. Like, for Leo's, sure. Leo's for the sure. best, followed by Raph, because, like, Raph, he is physically the strongest. He just... Is kind of an idiot when it comes to fighting. He's hard-headed. Yeah, he, yeah he's yeah. the strongest, and he's also the second most skilled. He's very committed to his fighting style. He's just he's just an idiot and a and a hothead. <laughs> Mikey is a very good natural fighter. He just doesn't ever think and isn't and isn't like physically that strong. Yeah, and I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, and Donnie, he spends the least amount of time actually training because he's too busy like building shit. Yeah. Like, he's better than your average the- person, and he can hold his own. It's just, it's just like, in, like, a fucking all-out brawl, Donnie's going to be more likely trying to build a gun than hitting people with a stick. Yeah. Or if he uses the stick, in like, in the TMNT show, he will almost immediately, because particularly the Foot Clan in this are robots. Yeah. And there's lots of them. So it, he just immediately goes to, oh, I have a spear in my stick. I'm going to use the spear now. Yeah. <laughs> right. Because why wouldn't you? Because you're not going ki- to, you can kill robots and no one gives a shit. <laughs> yep. that, that, is why, that is why they always turn them into robots, because then the turtles will actually be able to use their weapons. Otherwise, it'll be a lot of Mikey, otherwise it'll be a lot of Leo and Raph just kicking people holding weapons. Yeah, or like in the second live action film where Donatello pretends to be a, a blow-up toy and uses, like, toy sausages to take out ninjas. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, man, I love that intro to that movie. <laughs> I love that whole opening sequence. I just remember, Anyways. like, back in the day and, like, the Mirage era, those comics weren't terrific, but they were all right. They said they said things were to go, and they at least had the balls to let the turtles kill people. Well, yeah, but that was, like, but that was also an independent comic designed to 
satirize the darkest, stupidest elements of eighties Marvel Marvel comics. Yeah, so yeah, I know it was. I know it was essentially a fucking Daredevil knockoff. So when you have a main, because like, and also the first Tur- Turtles movie was an independent film, so it got away with a lot more. The second <laughs> one was a studio product. And now just, and now just and, like, and now just like thinking, like in this day and age, having a fucking auteur-driven TMNT movie. You mean an auteur besides Michael Bay? Michael Bay's not an auteur. Yeah, I'd be down if they brought back the rubber suits. I'm all for that. <laughs> yeah, bring back the rubber suits and Corey Feldman, motherfuckers. Let's do this. Yeah, yeah. Feld dog yeah. needs a paycheck. <laughs> His music career isn't taking off like he thought it would, and the uh, rent's coming due. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, so from there, um, it's fun. And like, it, there's a. There's of course fun images like all of Shredder teaming up his um, henchmen with the entire Batman Rogues Gallery to just try to take out Batman, while the turtle are trying to figure out if they can trust Batman and his friend and his associates or not. After the like, even April got in on the fight because in this version she's actually being trained by Splinter, yep. and she, but she's she's. She's good, but she's not that good of a fighter. So when she tries to take on Batgirl, it's kind of funny. Because there's just a moment where Barbara just goes, Bitch, please! <laughs> does she then unlock? Does she then unleash her incredible psychic powers? Because that- I don't remember seeing him. Yeah, I, I know. I remember. It, it took me a second when, when you said that to remember what you're talking about. But no, I don't remember seeing that. Yeah. In the, two, in the recent CG TMNT series, April is part Krang, so she's a psychic. Huh. Yeah. Yep, she has it. Those, her those ninja powers were amplified from her time in Dimension X, where nothing makes sense. Her ninja weapon is a fucking fan, so she chucks it out. uses her telekinesis to bring it back to her, like a boomerang. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know how I feel about all that. It's pretty all right. <laughs> there's some, there's some weird know. there's some weird <laughs> choices made in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles CG series, but overall, I think it for trying to balance between the darker comic stuff and what the sh- what the original '80s and '90s show was, I think this works the best. Yeah, it because is some a- of the other uh, incarnations. Like the 2005 series was good, but its attempts to distance itself from the the original television series felt like they were trying too hard a lot of the time. What the shell are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. My biggest problem with the fucking CG series is fucking Casey Jones. Yeah, well, they shit on him just, so hard. He's, he's just a dumb kid and. Like, not like an interesting, like, broken, dumb kid. Just like an idiot with hockey stuff who goes, Gungala! So, yeah, they, oh, there's, they essentially, none of, there's none of the father abuse? They essentially took, yeah, Casey, yeah, Jones yeah, yeah, char- they essentially took Casey Jones' character and removed all of the, like, empathetic or pathos about him and just right. made him fucking, oh, I'm dumb, I got skates. <laughs> oh, that's shit. Yeah. Also, how those voice actor make it sound like a fucking goon. Like, like a really bad yeah. dumb goon. Not even Which is like sad because I think that. most of the most of the voice acting in that series is really good. Like, oh, yeah, that, well, 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 I mean, I guess it's it's Kevin Michael Richardson playing the Shredder, so I was like, yeah, oh, totally. well, of course. <laughs> the guy, the guy, got, the guy, the guy that got playing Splinter, I cannot remember his name for the life of me, but he is fucking uh, great. Hoon Lee. Yeah, Hoon Lee, Hoon that's Lee. his fucking name. Yeah, he is fucking name. great. 
Yeah. Anyway, that's yeah, what we're talking so, about TV. Um, yeah. But, um, so eventually it comes down to uh, Mad Hatter trying to use crank technology to mind control people in both dimensions and use the crank portal to somehow broadcast his mind control device across both entire worlds. And he's using a, a group of Krang aliens and Shredder hat henchmen to help him do that. And it's weirder in this because they have Bebop and Rocksteady in this version. But in this version, they're a Michael Jackson parody and a Russian and a Russian. Oh, that's fucking weird. <laughs> you have no idea. Yeah. Yeah, because the Warthog is the Michael Jackson parody in this. but the, And Bebop is a... Or no, Bebop's no, Bebop's the Michael Jackson parody. Rocksteady's the Russian. So you have a giant rhino man with a minigun. He likes miniguns. All right. <laughs> Talk about Rocksteady. All right, yeah. That... Whatever, whatever floats your boat, dude. That's a... <laughs> yeah, that, yeah is, um, that is a little different than the uh, version. Yeah, the uh, that I know. Yeah. And, of course, like the Batman, they all save the day. The only interesting part is that there's an epilogue that takes place after the initial story, and it's sort of just sort of like the same, some, something similar happening again to where, at this point, Batman's not even surprised when the turtles and the alien robots show up. He's like, oh, hi, boys. And he's <laughs> just in the middle of beating up alien robots. The, the only fun thing about... The other funny thing about this is that it shows the transition from Season 3 to season four of Batman, the animated series, <laughs> because at the end of um, the third of the, of the last issue of the main story, we see Scarecrow saying, I need to make myself look much scarier. And he's drawing the design of Scarecrow from season four, <laughs> oh, which was great. one of the improvements, which was one of the improvements for design wise from season three to season four. And then, and then when uh, Mikey shows up, he's like, wow, Robin, why'd you, Why'd you shrink two feet? Because they've switched from Dick Grayson to Tim Drake. Uh, and yeah, it's, a, it's fun. I could see it. it. I don't think it's quite as good as the last one, but the last one was such a gonzo fun story mm-hmm. and was so much more invested in the pathos. And this one's just playing it a little bit more silly, which is funny because at one point at the end of the last main issue, uh, Dick Grayson Robin specifically t- sells Batman. You know, at this point, I think the turtles have shown us that after a crazy night like this, we need a couple of minutes of not being serious. So the <laughs> last panel you see of them is Barbara Gordon, Dick Grayson, and Batman in full costume eating pepperoni pizza. Naturally. <laughs> right. And then soon after, Batman and Barbara Gordon fuck. Uh it is in th- that idea. Is I know. I know. <laughs> from the Bruce Tim universe. And actually, <sighs> thinking about it now, there might have been some fucking foreshadowing, considering the fact that in fucking season four, uh, Catwoman became a fucking teenager for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, Bruce Tim likes him young. I, one of these days, I actually kind of want to talk to Bruce Tim and just kind of ask him just straight up. Yeah. Also, actually, I have a, co- a comics to TV to comics question for you. Do you think the uh, current Batwoman's design is maybe based on the the uh, Adam West Barbara Gordon design? Batwoman? 
Yeah. Uh, Kate, like, is it Kate? Is it Kate, Kate, Kate Kane? Kane. Yeah. Yep, Kate Kane. The reason I, yeah, the reason I asked that is, uh, pre-Batgirl, um, there was a Batwoman in the 50s named Beth Kane, but also, um, in the Adam West series, when they first introduced Batgirl, which was apparently created about the same, pretty much the exact same time that she was introduced in the comics, I think maybe a couple weeks apart, uh, in that series, the red hair was not natural. It was a wig she wore to distract the cops if anyone tried to ID her. Huh. Well, in the in the comics, uh, her whole her hair is actually, you know, red. It's just shorter. Yeah, but she also but she also wears a wig to distract and hide her identity, and also uh, fool. So it's like that's, I wonder if that's from that. But uh, again, that's. That's fanboy speculation. That could mean anything. But yep. yeah, um, uh, if you like these two series, which I think if you like these two franchises, you probably would. I, I, I think most people like Batman the Animated Series, I think. <laughs> Maybe. We don't, we don't hear a lot of people talk about it. Yeah. It, it just seems to be this thing. You know, I mean, I, I think I saw um, Justice League action parody it where uh, Blue Beetle got up on a building and specifically had the the suit set up a camera function and just stood on a building waiting for a lightning flash. Yep. And then but then Blue Beetle's like, hey, you get all that? Hey, you get all that fucking suit? It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah totally. It's like, fucking sick. It's gonna be yeah. dope when we make fun of these fuckers. Actually, now that I think about it, I think they also make fun of it in... I forgot they also make fun of it in this series when Mikey, because he thinks Batman is cool makes his own cheap-looking version of the Batman cowl and just randomly stands on the side of a, of a building in a rainstorm with the Bat cowl on. And he, he stands heroically during the lightning flash, but then he almost slips and goes, Oh, shit! <laughs> yeah, that sounds like Mikey. At least this version of Mikey. <sighs> so, yeah. Um, At least he's not the fucking fly. Yeah. Buzz, buzz. I guess... Yeah, I guess the only thing I have a problem with is that uh, the turtle... Okay, so this artist, John Samariva, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, he adapts the turtle's design from the series pretty well, but the Batman series feels a little bit too deformed, if you know what I mean. Because, like, I guess they had to find a, a midway point between the two styles, and it's not as hard to translate the CG series to 2D because... If you ever watch in between stuff, they do show all the illustrated 2D panels they use for designing the CG shots. So it's not that hard of a of a transition. But I think to try to make Batman fit with the turtles, they had to play up the cartooniness of him, Dick Grayson, and the original Barbara Gordon Batgirl suit, which was not a particularly good design, I don't think. So that some of that doesn't work. <laughs> okay. Other than that, I think this was fun. I think cool. And it nice. was it was weird, but with this combination of things it was always going to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, Batman kind of take these. Yeah, Batman cross other publishers characters always go a bit weird. Hmm. All right. All right, Nico. Uh, speaking of Batman, let's talk about Batman. <laughs> <laughs> the main series. Batman. Written by uh, Birdie's favorite writer, Tom King. <laughs> oh, right. That guy exists. Has he done anything? Yeah. You know, I, I tend uh, to... Yeah, he, I, yeah, I, I know the Batman-Elmer um, Fudd crossover. 
Yeah, I know. I know. Oh, I don't yeah. really talk about his yeah, work all that often lately. Uh, so I kind of wanted to mention him uh, uh, during this podcast. <laughs> Um, yeah, he's an indie writer. Yeah. He's, he's coming up in the world. He's just got his own creator own thing over an image. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, no, sorry, Dead Man, you, you mentioned prior to recording when I t- said I was going to talk about this that because uh, the the current storyline in the Batman uh, Rebirth title uh, is the War of Jokes and Riddles, and you said that you weren't a fan of it so far. Did you want to ah, explain really? why now, or do you want me to kind of say what I like about it? And then- uh, yeah, yeah, fuck it, I'll go now. Um, yeah, the thing I don't kind of like about it is just their characterization of both the Riddler and the Joker. Okay. Yeah, because in this, the Riddler is this fucking swole ass looking dude just fucking yes. like all, just like all kinds of just like blah like he look he's looking like fucking challenging dick grayson for best ass the dcu <laughs> i yes no i i have a problem with that as well yes for sure yeah and there's nothing <laughs> there's nothing that's been there's nothing that like he's done that is as that has been particularly riddlerish about him so far mm-hmm. like, like there's never there's never been like some fucking elaborate bullshit leading to a fucking like Lean to a, like with the answers a riddle, and then when he get it right, it just still fucking explodes. Mm. None of that. He's just been like fucking just straight murder people. Mm. Which I was gonna actually say that this version of his version of the Riddler so far has closely reminded me of the Batman Earth One Jeff Johns one that everyone hated because he was so violent. Uh, because you know he's dropping people down fucking elevator shafts and yeah the, the, the riddler the riddler is a guy who will set up a trap to prove that he is smarter than you and when you prove that you are smarter than him he'll still just fucking kill you because fuck you but he's not mm. like a oh i'm gonna I'm just fucking like jump at you with a knife fucking just mm. open shirts so you can see my see your blood can just fucking spray across my six-pack Right, yeah, because he he does in the first issue of this storyline, he stabs somebody like fifty something times. They say, yeah, that's tr- to escape. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, and then the uh, Joker. I, why why don't you like about the Joker though? Uh, that's that's the more surprising one. Just to me. he just so I don't like evil Superman because it is the most obvious route to go with that character. Like, if you ever want to do, like, a, oh, yeah, we're doing this fucking big thing. Oh, yeah, what if Superman's evil? In this, it's, oh, what if the Joker doesn't laugh? And that seems like just kind of the most obvious, like, hey, I want to put my own spin on this guy. What if we take mm. away the thing that makes him him? Mm. And so the Joker in this is just constantly frowning, never mm. able to laugh at anything, but is still out doing crime. Mm. Okay. Um, and then I, so, I also just like don't. It's something that keeps happening with Batman, specifically this like since New Fifty Two Batman, where just all of a sudden the writer will just say, "Hey, here's this incredibly important thing that informed a huge chunk of Batman's backstory that nobody has ever brought up, mentioned, or even remembers until now." Mm-hmm. Like fucking Zero Year, and then like there was some other bullshit with Mother and Batman Robin Eternal. And now this, where Batman is fucking in bed with Selina Kyle, his now fiance, saying, hey, there's a thing you need to know that given how fucking huge it was, you should already know about. Well, we don't know for a fact if she's agreed to the marriage yet, though. That was that that was the whole point of him telling her this story. First. Yeah, she still has a few questions about the Robin fetish here. 
To which he to which he responds, "Hey, that was not my decision. That's I my had word. pants prepared, but he was <laughs> but he was way too into his fucking leotard." Listen, lady, that's my word. <laughs> no, like, what do you want him? Uh, what do you want him? Fucking jump 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 from rooftop to rooftop wearing a pair of khakis. Um, that that'll, that'll be yeah. funny. Has that ever happened? Just like Robin, like in the Domino Mask, but like jumping from rooftop to rooftop wearing fucking like a cardigan. I don't know. If anybody did it, it's definitely Dick Grayson, though. Yeah, I do, I do kind of want to see like just one of these really acrobatic superheroes, one of these really flamboyant superheroes, but they're just wearing like fucking schlub clothes. Like there was a there was a Spider Man thing that came out a while back. I cannot remember it. Oh no, it was in um, it was in Ultimate Spider Man where he where he was like um he caught like a plane from Brazil back to New York, but he was in the fucking cargo hold, so he just fucking put on like a sweater and a toque and like earmuffs. And then, and like sweatpants, and then he just fucking like flies out of the fucking cargo hold and tries to rate, rush, rush, like rush home. Spider Man shit's still on, but we're in like a fucking old lady baggy sweater. Mm. And I just found that image really funny, and so I kind of want to see like. It would not surprise me if in an issue of Nightwing, Nightwing is fucking jumping around wearing a toque. <laughs> right. Yeah, just, like, just like long johns gets- on, and just like long johns on, and a fucking <laughs> like. It gets cold, cold in Bloodhaven. Yeah, it's like, cold like, in Bloodhaven. Yeah, like, like he's wearing like he's wearing those mitts that are like he's wearing like those like a pair of those like kids mitts that are like strung through the sleeve. Right. No, I know attached to the coat. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so they can't lose them. Yeah. Um. So, War of Jokes and Riddles, though. Um. Okay. I. Yeah, no, that's why I wanted you to explain, because you had mentioned before I had said I wanted to talk about this, that you didn't particularly like it so far. Um, overall, I mean, if we're just talking about Tom King's run so far, and it's about 27 issues in due to the double shipping that they've done, and it's just over a year in, compared to Scott Sanders' like four or five years of the new 52, I would say I actually think I like his version and the things that he's exploring more than I liked Scott Snyder's, because the Scott Snyder's run in Batman, and we've talked about this on this show before, it had really, really, at least in my opinion, really good high points, but then parts that were really low, in my opinion, and and it was very inconsistent. It was up and down. Scott Snyder's much better at... Is, is not nearly as good at ending things as Tom right. King is. Yeah, we've always said that. And and I think that the approach that Tom King has taken, because he's got such a condensed way of storytelling uh, throughout the issues that he's done, and the little kind of two-parter issues he's been doing, the one-shots. There was a Swamp Thing one-shot that they did not long before the Selena two, two-part thing on the rooftop, as well as this, which was wonderful. Just a great one-and-done Swamp Thing story with batman which is great yeah um i I've, I've enjoyed the things the way he's been telling the stories that he's been telling and just the approach that he's been taking and and you know there's definitely uh, so even a year in about half the amount of issues that he's done so far i could i think i can safely say at this point depending on where the directions go from here i've enjoyed his run more so than Scott Snyder, just because it, and not every story is a big epic storyline. This is probably the first of anything I think he's done so far in terms of like, even the Bane one wasn't as crazy as this war of jokes and riddles, I guess you could say. But, um, but yeah, no, I agree with you, Dead Man, with the, with the thing about the, um, the Riddler though. Uh, I definitely do not love that he's so buff and kind of, like you said, super violent, but I, I love the Riddler. I love the Riddler as a villain, and I just, there, you don't get too many Riddler stories, and the fact that 
it seems like such a simple idea of him versus the Joker, but it's not something that it's like, it should be. So, you know, like it's, I don't know if it's ever been done. And if it has, I've never, I think I can't recall reading a story like that. So yeah, I think, been, I think at least um, in like the big Batman comics, it's always been like, keep the Joker and Riddler as far away from each other as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I just like, Again, I think it just really has a lot to do with the way that he's chose he chooses to tell the story. Like I loved how they opened up that first scene with the Joker uh, about ha- the fact that he can't laugh when he's basically making stand-up comedians come up to the stage and tell him jokes and then if he can't make him laugh, he kills them. You know what I mean? Like I liked that idea. Like I like I like that little I like the idea of him dr- making a cab driver, Uber driver, whatever the fuck he was, driving out to the middle of the suburbs so he can kill a family. Like, that is fucked up to me. Like, the fact that, and like, he told him oh, a joke. Collateral route. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's just like that whole scene was, was, was like really, I'm really cool. Joker cool. watches Michael Mann movies. <laughs> um, yeah, that's the one where Tom Cruise is a villain, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 Tom Cruise is a villain. Yeah. 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 I love that one. Um, but yeah, he tells the cab driver or whatever uh, a joke in the in the cab, and it was one of those like delayed responses to the jokes where you could tell that he really didn't like probably think it was funny at first. And he's like, "I got the fucking Joker in my backseat," so he tries to bust out a laugh. He's like, "Hey, man, that's pretty funny." He's like, "No, it's not." He just shoots him in the head and fucking exits the cab. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I like the scenes he's been setting up so far in this whole thing, and. And yeah, and then he, and then Joker stabs him. I, I, I just, all the moments that he's been setting up so far between these two characters and, and he, and, and, you know, I, like I said, like, and, and the scene where the Joker's basically just listening to the news and looking at himself in the mirror and there's a whole, there's a whole page where he's just doing different glances of him trying to crack a smile in front of the mirror and he can't do it like as much as hard as he tries. And he, and you know he's the Joker, so I think it is interesting. Like like I don't think I've ever seen him like this. Like I know what you're saying. Like you feel that it's been, I don't know that many you thought it wasn't the smartest like kind of idea. I guess I don't know. Like it was. This is an clever. idea from Aspar. Mm-hmm. Oh really? You're gonna compare it to All Star Batman? No, I don't all, think no, that's in All Star Batman Robin, the Joker doesn't laugh. Yeah, like they, there's, did, there's a very there's very specifically a cover did, of Aspar. Where he's just growling, he's just snarling at the audience. Do they reference that though? Because I can't remember. I've read it. I just can't remember if was that an actual like thing that they they no, had that was an actual thing that happened. Like they, they said yeah. he doesn't smile in yeah. the book. They yeah, show it. Like, oh, okay. They, yeah, they show an image of him. Like even when he's um, beating the shit I can't out recall. of Catwoman to get back at Batwoman at, at Batman, he's just mm. like, Ugh, I don't enjoy this anymore. Batman's mm. made this boring, mm. which is like literally the exact opposite of everything you know about the Joker. So. Yeah, mm. <sighs> yeah. I don't know. It's been working for me though. Like I said, I, I have been enjoying the story. I, and I think it's just he's a good storyteller, and I think I like the way like the Kinnett storytelling ty- style and like the twenty fifth and twenty sixth issue were the first two issues of the storyline. The twenty seventh one came out this week, which I'm not going to talk about, but I will quickly mention that it's kind of like a. Uh, a story where they're telling you the origin of a really shitty villain, which is kind of like they took a step away from this storyline. Like they still involved it within the storyline, but at the same time, they were, they took the opportunity to tell you how the villain Kite Man beca- became a villain. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, it was really well done. So I, you know, I know like the kind of thing, like, did you read Superman, Batman, public enemies, Nico? Yeah. Yes. Yes, it did. Yeah. 
One one of the funny one of the best scenes between Clark and Bruce in that was when they were talking about Magpie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and Clark was like, "Whatever happened to her?" And Bruce was like, "She died." It's like, really? It's like, why do only the sucky ones die? <laughs> right. <laughs> that was actually one of the better uh, Jeff Loeb written things I think he's done. Right. That was Jeff Loeb series, I think. Right. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've been digging it so far and I actually, I even thought it was a bold move for him to even do the whole Catwoman proposal thing, which it's interesting because that they actually had the balls to go there and that with the new rebirth, they've actually been revisiting relationships and people actually having kids, something in comics, which they steered far, far away from for a long time. So yeah. the fact well, that they're yeah, actually, I mean, well, if you want the most obvious example of that, look at new 52 Superman versus Reaper. Superman, <laughs> right? Oh God! No, I know Superman. Yeah, so miserable I fuck that he was. Bad. I almost felt bad that the new that Rebirth Superman had to like lovingly attend New Fifty Two Superman's funeral because I was like, dude, you should be like pissing on his grave or something. Like, or, yeah, like, just just like at, just like at super speed, just take, just like pop a squat and pinch one out. <laughs> No, you you had those fucking like super ass muscles. You could probably like fucking fire that thing through his goddamn forehead. Like the only good thing that's come out of uh, New Fifty Two Superman is the new Lana Lang, but that's not enough for what they did to fucking Superman in the New Fifty Two. I know, I know. No, that's Remember horrible. Jonathan Carroll? No, no. Lois Lane's Who's boyfriend. That? Oh, when she was working for the blog company or whatever the fuck it was. Right. No, even yeah, before that, that, even before oh. fucking Marcus Edge, Marvin Edge, or whatever the fuck his name was, New took 52, over the New Fifty Two. Lois Lois Lane left no impression on me at all. Yeah, that's because she was. I mean, you're, gra- you're grasping at straws. You're grasping at straws here with those characters. I'm like, what? <laughs> oh no, I'm not grasping at straws. I'm proving a point. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like consolidating a point. God damn it. And the point is no, but the point is fucking New Fifty Two shit. Just goddamn. Top to bottom yeah, was just a fucking very nightmare. forgettable, very forgettable though is what I meant. But but yeah, yeah. so so um, forget, so forgettable. Yeah. We forgot fucking Lois Lane and her love interest, right? <laughs> um. So yeah, uh, Batman: War of Jokes and Riddles is the current storyline in the Tom King uh, Batman series. Um, if you're not really into which that second issue, the fucking Dark Days the casting was horrible, even yeah. compared to the first one. Yeah, it was a mess. Jesus Christ. Uh, yeah, if you're not enjoying what Scott Snyder's doing on that side of the Batman thing, uh, I, I would check out The War of Joke and Riddles. Uh, or even some of the other, I mean, Super Sons, if you want a Damien fix. Yeah, or even Detective uh, Comics is doing all right. Not, yeah, Detective and uh, Nightwing has actually been pretty solid again, which yeah. it was up and down for a bit, um, but I have enjoyed it since he's actually gotten um, to Bloodhaven now with the, past, the last arc. So. Yeah, and I'm really liking Sean. Um, yes. Yeah, again, another relationship. Like, yeah, it's awesome. It's actually, and they're making it work. Like, between that and Superman and now this Batman thing, um, yeah, like, the, these people are actually having relationships, these dark and brooding characters, which and you would is- never actually... You know, it is hilarious when I think back and those two fucking Batwoman writers who got fired for putting her in a relationship. Right. Right. I know. So, so hell yeah. I mean, they're, the DC is doing a lot of right right now. Well, I will damn. give them they, that. How, how, how much must it suck for them? Like, they had this whole fucking thing planned out and this big fucking relationship thing building up and it was, like, actually going pretty well. Like, there was, this, there was interesting things happening with that relationship. It worked. And then 
and they, they like they like had fucking permission from editorial to do this. They were actually getting these fucking books published, and then DC was like, "Hey, um, fuck you." Now leave. She's isn't, gonna fuck a lesbian vampire isn't now. The cur- isn't the current Batwoman story villain like upset at Kate because she was like the lesbian snake at a grass to the woman that she was in love with? I think so. Or am I remembering that wrong? No, I think <laughs> you're not entirely wrong. I I remember. I I I dropped Batwoman a little while ago, actually. Yeah, I did too. Actually, okay. it was boring. Well, it was okay, just boring. At least it's boring and not just insulting like Batman. No, 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 yeah. no. It wasn't or like that. The, or that follow-up Batwoman arc, where it's like, "Hey, Maggie has a daughter from her husband. Remember them? No, you don't. Fuck you. Also, hey, now they're vampires, and let's fuck. Mm. Okay, okay." I've liked her in Detective Comics, although and and Detective Comics is actually telling an interesting Asriel story. Uh, for fuck's sakes, I'm so surprised. Actually, yeah. I'm enjoying. I'm enjoying the Asriel story for the with first time ever. Asriel's an interesting character. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, it's been great. So yeah, so some good, you know, good bat books going on right now. So uh, yeah, definitely check it out. Yeah, just avoid Batgirl like the plague. And Nico, has your girlfriend? Is your girlfriend still reading it? <laughs> yes yeah <laughs> uh, yeah you know listen i i you know i don't i don't read it but she also reads all the other batman books that i read so she's fully okay, so you're, you know you're, you're educating her on oh yeah quality comics at least trust me do not use that as the you know what i mean as the main like the takeaway she actually reads a lot of good comics like stuff i read well, as no, well i understand that yeah it's like Everybody I, I has one. Book, I want that book to right. die. <laughs> no, I understand. Me, I understand. I want that book to die. It's just a personal yeah. thing with me. Yeah. I would yeah, like that so. book to die as well, but people are reading it, I guess. I even th- I, I I mean, I read the first arc of it, like I said, only for the Albuquerque art, and after that, I jumped ship. After that whole penguin boyfriend thing started happening, I was like, all right, I'm out of here. And uh, Birds of Prey was awful, too, in my opinion, when I first started to try that. It's just gotten worse. I looked at an issue of it recently, like when I was at the comic book just store, just looking at where all this, the series I dropped have gone. They've all just gotten worse. Like it, Like Hulk... Jen is just in control, but she says it's not really her anymore when she becomes She-Hulk. In Batgirl, um, the dumbass that stole his way into becoming Oracle apparently has a criminal past. Oh, dear. <laughs> it's like, right. Apparently, I made... All the books I dropped, I apparently made the right decision to drop, because they just mm. got worse. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, so. Welcome to, welcome to DC Comics, I guess. There's always going to be stinkers, right? Well, so, so, you know, I mean, even, yeah. even Marvel in their prime had a couple of yeah. stinkers. It's like yeah. nothing that hurts me as much as um, as hipster Batgirl. Oh but... God! <laughs> yeah, Not I for sure. The only person I can actually think to like fully say, "Hey." Like I, I know, I know there are like fucking dozens of people involved with the fucking creation or anything, but like the kind of like singular person I found myself blaming more and more for that book is fucking Babs Tar. Yeah, is that the person who put out the "Hey, we changed some stuff" image? Yep. Okay. Yeah. I think it's specifically because well, of that. Also- like, like, like the other writers on it, they did fucking MMPR Pink. That was great. Yeah. So, like, they're good writers. Yeah, and Babs Tar's also seems to have gone out of her. Is it a her? I th- yeah. yeah, I think yeah, I think it's Barbara okay. Tarr. It's a woman. She's yeah. the she was the artist on that it's, Batgirl yeah, series with Cameron Stewart. Uh, it, but it just feels like um, that 
she's gone out of her way since they did that, hey, we changed some stuff thing, to just kind of shit all over Oracle. Yeah. concept. Yeah. <sighs> like, oh, you're just the... There's nothing interesting about Oracle. You're just the tech person. There's nothing interesting about what created you or how you acted when you were Oracle. That's just silly. <laughs> yeah, like, Oracle's kind of the main reason why... Like, like anytime anybody's like, hey, yeah, fucking Killing Joke is sexist. We need to remove it from everything. I'm like, and hold up. Yeah, that was what started all the, like, yeah, the buzz about the, the controversy and the changes in those books, right? Was that Yeah, one? like, like uh, hey, yeah, Killing Joke. Barbara uh, got a fucking shit stick thrown at her. Well, Albuquerque did yeah. that cover but, like, where if, it if shows. Got a shit stick yeah. and that was it, then that would be one of the most misogynist books of all time. But the fact that she rallied and became an even more likable character after such a tragic event is why I like I can forgive that story's problems. Yeah, like, like, like you, and like yeah, I know like, the like, like, at, at least the at least the killing joke didn't have a Batman sex comedy scene. Yeah, and like, and like, and like <laughs> I spent so much fucking time reading into this that like the counter argument to that I already know it. It was like, right. well, well, in the initial, well, in the initial interpretation, well, in the initial fucking writing of that book, there was no plans for her to become Oracle. But like, fuck, I'm kind of with Lynn Carr on this. Like, hey, don't remove good books from continuity. Don't re- don't remove bad books from continuity because good writers will take that bad book and do something interesting with it. Yep. Yeah. Which is why he's he's looking forward to the point when someone does something interesting with one more day. <laughs> The most interesting thing they've done with One More Day is they made a fucking uh, joke cover for Spider-Man Deadpool yeah. called No More Jokes. No, I know. <laughs> and it worked really well. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, moving on to my final book. Uh, getting back on the Aftershock rails, uh, Unholy Grail. The latest yes. of yeah, The latest of the 80,000 books being written by Cullen Bunn. It's getting ridiculous, man. Like, I, honestly, he's way surpassed Jeff Lemire now. Like, yeah. the only thing, the difference is he doesn't draw, but he is writing, like, fucking, honestly, like, 50 books right now. Like, I, one of these days I'm going to check, like, how many books he's currently writing. Yeah. It's crazy. I, I, if I ever hear <laughs> Colin Bunn is going to be at a Comic-Con co- appearance somewhere where I can get to it, I'm going to go and make sure I say hi just to see how many books he's currently writing while also... <laughs> yeah, he, yeah. He, yeah, he just has... Sorry, guys. Like, <laughs> he has four laptops open, each of them writing a different fucking script for a comic while he just signing things with his teeth. <laughs> oh, you want me to sign that for you? Yeah, sure, hold on. I'm just banging up the script. <laughs> All right, yeah, here we go. <laughs> yeah, I just finished up the most recent... I just finished up this last arc of fucking Harrow County. Let's fucking do this shit. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, so Unholy Grail. It is... So, hey, you know Merlin? <laughs> yes. Dead, yes. What if he was actually evil? <laughs> but he was evil. <laughs> In most interpretations. <laughs> but, like, but, like, more so. Sure. More of like a dick. Not, like, more, like, you mean, like, actual evil, not, like, chaotic good on the D&D spectrum. What if he was literally a demon? Okay, that's dull. Nice. Then what is yeah. Morgan Lefay an angel? Who kn- who or the fuck knows? Another demon. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So so on Holy Grail, uh, it starts out with the death of Camelot. Like it, like like a uh, so Lamort Darthur. Yeah. So like fucking okay. like Sir Percival is making his way back towards Camelot to the fucking Round Table with what he thinks is the Holy Grail. 
It was like, hey, I've been on this quest. I fucking found it. Came back, but everybody's dead. We then, we then flash back to before King Arthur became King Arthur, and we see a demon just ascend from hell onto the mortal plane. And the first person he runs into is Merlin. And Merlin is on his way to go give fucking, I guess, last rites to Uther. And, mm-hmm. and, he, and he's Arthur's like, dad. Yeah. yeah. And so he's like, what are you, a priest? And, the, and, there are, and Merlin's like, no, I'm fucking Merlin. I'm all this awesome shit. I'm the son of the devil himself. And the demon's like, fuck you, bitch, and eats him. And then, and then, sure. yeah, and then wears his skin, becoming Merlin. Yeah, no, that's a demon thing to do. Yeah, heads and, to. And that's not even the weirdest. That's not even the weirdest priest thing I've read this week. Um, I, I'm reading this young adult series uh, centered around Norse mythology, and Loki dresses up as a priest and gives a eulogy to a small child. Yeah, that tracks. <laughs> And yeah, so he, so yeah, so um, the demon as Merlin makes his way to Camelot, where Uther is dying, hasn't said anything for three days, and Merlin just kind of walks up, digs his fingers into the back of Uther's head, and is like, "Hey, my sit, my hand, my son's gonna be king now, so fucking get on it." Cut, for, yeah, jump to a few years later, where Merlin has been training Arthur to become a king. Uh, Merlin, um, Arthur has been going around murdering people. And taking their swords in order to pay tribute to the Lady of the Lake to like gain to like gain, gain the blessing to be the one true king, mm-hmm. which he does. But Lady of the Lake, on top of being like a really hot chick, is also like a demon or something. Because when the lady okay. when the Lady of the Lake bursts out of the lake, it is is like, hey, hot lady, your fucking tits are flapping a boot. Got fucking long blonde blowing hair, and then also behind her is like this big fat red thing. And then we cut to Percival, who sits in the throne, is like, hey, the person who brings back the Holy Grail to this chair. He's in the chair, and then the chair eats him. The chair? Yep. What the fuck? <laughs> this is the weakest of the Cullen Bun books I have read. Oh, wow. Yeah, this, doesn't even, this doesn't even sound like a good idea. It's just... It, this, this is one of those... It's sort of like what you described with, uh, what if the Joker never laughed, or what if Superman was just evil... It sounds like the only idea was invert everything you know. Yeah, pretty much. And even then, it doesn't sound like they inverted everything. They just inverted the stuff that people are more familiar with. Like hell, even like the title. Somehow, um, yeah, like if somehow Arthur, had, while uh, working for the de- these demons to become king so that they can rule through hell on earth, accidentally um, fucks his half-sister who's an angel who gives birth to an inbred bastard son who has who has heaven powers and thus becomes uh Arthur's downfall or like the reason that he uh rejects himself as king is because he can't fuck Guinevere <laughs> or something like that that would be at least interesting but it just sounds like they inverted all of the st- all of the obvious stuff and not any of the stuff that would make this seem like more complete and not just a uh what's the term Pan- uh, not panel swap uh pallet swap Palette swap, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Uh, I guess we found. I guess we found Cullen's breaking point. Yeah, you can only write not, eighty thousand series at once instead of eighty thousand and one. I wonder if AfterShock came to him with this, or if he asked them to let him re- release this. I think because I, I think this AfterShock sound like something Cullen Bunn would do. 
honestly. I, I don't know. I think Aftershock is like I don't think they, they like come, come up with ideas then ideas. Like, right for hire. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, this also still doesn't sound like something Cullen Bunn would do. Like this is from the guy that did uh, the Sixth Gun and Sixth Gun Gorilla and all kinds of other crazy shit. But this just sounds boring. It might be like Me- a. Well, oh no! Wait. It, okay. In- I credit him as the creator. Meanwhile, when you guys have been talking, I've been checking to see how many books he. I'm up to ten books right now that he's currently writing. <laughs> <laughs> Keep going. Keep going. Yeah. All no, that he I, himself said is on hiatus because he just needs another week to write right. out the next year of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> this is crazy. <laughs> I'm actually kind of surprised that we haven't gotten word of like Cullen Bunn taking like mangaka time off from writing books. Yeah, like kind of how uh, so the. You don't do you read uh Arakawa Hiromu's Silver Spoon, Dead Man? I do not. Okay. That's the writer of uh, Full Metal Alchemist for I'm aware. Uh, ah, okay. Just to, just to yeah. No, it's good to uh, know. Okay. Yeah. But um the right it, it's a very good story. It's a little mund it's much more mundane than Full Metal Alchemist. It's about a farming about a college. Ki- yeah, it's oh. a farming high school and the lives of these people, which gets pretty dark and dramatic. But they it, they seem to be getting pretty close to the end of the story, but in the past two years, they've only released like five chapters. Oh, yeah! yeah like every like, once in a while, not, and they're not like long ones; they're like twenty-page chapters. And like they came back for three issues after like a six-month hiatus, and then they just announced it's going back on hiatus. Ah, oh, fuck! Yeah, but like I'm not talking about like that kind of thing. I'm talking about like a fucking Ichiro Oda kind of thing. Where it's like, yeah, hey, all of Cullen Bunn's books like, are delayed a week because he's dying. Yeah, that's the more obvious one. Like, he's not like um, the guy who does One Punch Man who probably needs, like, absolute silence in, like, a, a sealed vault away from all the, the bitching and moaning for more One Punch Man to just draw one issue. Yeah, he's, he, just like, he just, like, seals himself in, like, a hermetic chamber that has, like, a single slot to pass his, pass his like, rough pages off to, the, to his fucking assistants. That's the only way that thing goes, and then he just comes out and just screams. Anyway, yeah. Unholy Grail. Not as great. Not every fucking Aftershock book is going to be a banger. Yeah. All right. Well, we talked about two other good ones, so. Yeah. <laughs> Not bad. Yeah. For a smaller company. Yeah, and hey, they already have some shit. They're like a real publisher now. All they need yeah, to do I is mean, fuck what? over their creators. Yeah. What we didn't, what we didn't mention was like uh, you got animosity, you got. Uh, yeah, I'm talking about animosity. I like. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, there's there's yeah. a lot of other good titles. Yeah. So. And they're still they're also a little bit more focused than Image at this point. So they while they're diverse, they're not as shoot everything at the wall and see what sticks as images. Whereas I mean, Image has a mostly pretty good track record, but when they have duds, their duds are pretty spectacular. <laughs> Yeah. Anywho. Tell us about reading, then. On to news. We got a bunch of fucking news. Get ready. So get ready for this to push us over the three-hour mark. (laughs) So, first up, uh, it has been officially confirmed that Netflix will be producing a ten-episode series based on Umbrella Academy. Oh, nice. Yep, the cool. Gerard Way and Gabriel Ba series. Animated or live action? Uh, it 
does not say. Because the style of that I could technically see going either way, but if they went live action, it would have to kind of look like uh, a series of unfortunate events. Yeah, it would also... I'm also wondering how they would be able to handle five. Yeah, that would be weird. (laughs) Yeah, because, like, getting, like, a fucking ten-year-old to be able to, like, act that well, or getting somebody older who looks ten. Yeah, for anybody who doesn't know, um... The Umbrella Academy is a series by Gerard Way, who comic fans will know as the young animal guy. And uh, and uh, Gabriel Ba, that's about these seven kids who are kind of just kind of taken away, from, who were like born under specific circumstances and taken in by a guy and they all have superpowers and stuff. Uh, number five has the power to travel, tra- has the power to travel through time, but only one direction. And he is... And, like, the first time he time-traveled, he is kind of now, like, stuck in the body of a ten-year-old. Even though he is, like, hundreds of years old and also might have assassinated JFK. Yeah, this is neat. I want to see this, I want to yeah, see I'll this actually it. happen. I'll check it out. One of, the, one of the better original Dark Horse books. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So actually, on. is there any word on the third part? I know uh, that they were talking about it for a long time. It's like, is there going to be a third development? Okay. Yeah. So, uh, moving on, uh, DC Comics has announced that there will be a upcoming miniseries uh, centered around Ragman. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, it'll be a sixty miniseries. I'm um, written by Ray Fox. Uh, uh, with art by um, Inaki Miranda, uh, who most recently, I guess, worked on Harley Quinn, uh, with coloring done by Ava De La Cruz. Uh, the, the book will be um, having Ragman centered in Gotham City. And yeah, this is apparently the first comic to feature Ragman in a starring role since 2010. Hmm. Okay, whatever. <laughs> Yeah. The only thing I know about Ragman is that I, um, he's Jewish, I think, and that's a big part of the character. I think isn't that the case? Maybe I don't know. I don't know. I honestly don't know that much about Ragman. That I think that's the only thing I know. But anyways, yeah, go on. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it is. So they released a little solicitation for the book, uh, and it reads: "Quote: Orvet Rory Reagan is plagued by the death of his. Yeah, plagued by is plagued by the death of his time after a failed mission." Mission to find a hidden treasure in the Israel desert. While battling survivors' guilt back home in Gotham City, Reagan discovers that he actually bought the brought the treasure back home with them in the form of the soul, the suit of souls. The suit of souls has the ability to tap, to trap, and collect the souls of others, including those of his dead partners. With the aid of his dead teammates, Rory begins to learn more about the, the abilities of the suit. Something evil begins to brew in Gotham. Blargle, 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 blargle to fight. Wow, that doesn't sound interesting at all. <laughs> no. Ray yeah. Fox did uh, that Gotham by Midnight book, though, and that was, if he kind of brings some of the supernatural stuff that he was doing that to this, maybe it'll be cool. I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. All right. But what is going to be kind of cool is um, the hunger, that Jughead one shot where Jughead was a werewolf, that's an ongoing now. Mm. Are you serious? Yep. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yep. that's awesome. Archie, Archie Comics has officially uh, announced that there will be a monthly series 
with uh, Jughead the Werewolf uh, facing off against Betty Cooper, Werewolf Hunter. Oh, I'm I'm on board. <laughs> I yeah, am uh, totally fucking on board. I yeah. love that one shot. Frank Thierry, the writer of that one shot, said in a statement, quote, We purposely left the door open with the one shot. We We told you if you made Jughead the Hunger a hit, we'd make more. And since you more than held your end of the bargain, here we are. Is Michael Walsh still going to draw it? Uh, does it say that? It does not say that, but probably. Hmm. I mean, given the cover. I hope. Yeah. Awesome. Nice. Yeah. So he continued saying, fans can expect more of everything they loved about the one shot now as we expand our universe. More Wolfhead Juggy, more Badass Betty, more Conflicted Archie, and more twists and turns than you can shake a severed arm at. Ha. Yeah. So that's nice. fucking neat. Yeah. Uh, so, um, so DC Comics uh, at their booth at San Diego Comic Con, uh, there was a big fucking like wall covering poster uh, that showed off a new superhero team that people are kind of speculating that it will be the new team, or at least some, or at least, or at least like new teams or new team central uh, that kind of spin out of the Dark Days shit. And, yeah, so we got uh, Plastic Man, Mr. Terrific, uh, Metamorpho, a dude with a gun, uh, the Challengers of the Unknown, uh, some lady who people are thinking is a new Dr. Light, native lady with a fucking tomahawk. It's a whole fucking thing. Uh, Here is the image for you guys. Check out. Uh... Hmm. Yeah, I don't really care. Yeah. Oh, I, like I mean, I like some of these characters. Yeah. yeah. I like some of these characters, but I'm just like, it just looks kind of generic. Yeah, like incredibly so. Like, there's nothing even fucking fancy about the way that they're drawn. Mr. Terrific is actually an awesome character that's not used enough. He yeah. is pretty cool. Yeah, I like I mean, him. There's, there's a lot of characters. Like, I've I've seen. Whatever happened to that J that JLA series? There. The whole only reason I cared it about at all was that Vixen was in it. Uh, it's still going. Did it get canceled? No, it's still going. The Steve Orlando one, yeah. Yeah, it's still going. Uh, they're building a relationship between Killer Frost and Ryan Choi. That's an odd combo, but okay. <laughs> it's something. Is that Plastic Man or... Yeah, Plastic yep, Man. Yeah, that's Plastic okay. Man. Wearing a new colored suit. I don't think suit. it would be Elongated Man. Elongated yeah, Man right. just kind of disappeared since his wife... Is Identity Crisis still in continuity, though, uh, or no? No, it is not, because his wife is alive, right. and uh, Elongated Man was actually hanging out with um, the Secret Six. Yeah, see? Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, the, yeah, the big yeah. fucking bruiser-looking dude turned out to be Elongated yeah, Man. Yeah, I forgot about that twist. Yeah, Gail Simone wrote that. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. And last we saw them, they were hanging out in suburbia with Strix and her gnome collection and their fly-dog-mutant hybrid. I like that series. That one. Yeah, that, that was a decent. That was a decent run of that series. Yeah, it was. Yeah, the second iteration. Yeah. yeah so dark days. It looks like it looks gonna like be a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's going on with this whole dark days thing, but okay. <laughs> yeah. I am interested though. I'll give. I'll give them that. <laughs> I'm like, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess at this point, that's all DC can really hope for. Right. I mean, uh, you know. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, so yeah, uh, DC 
has apparently had discussions, according to this fucking Bleeding Cool article that, they, that recounts one of their fucking panels, that DC has had discussions about launching a Marvel Unlimited style comic subscription service. Marvel Unlimited, for those who don't know, is just the thing where like you can get like Marvel books like six months after they're released on this subscription thing, and they also have mm-hmm. like a bunch a huge back catalog of their old books. And DC's like, hey, we can probably do that, but man, let's just fuck people <laughs> over for a while, I guess. Yeah, I mean, if you're a trade waiter, that's that's a great option, that Marvel Unlimited, for how much you pay. It's yeah. It's really good. Yeah. Yeah, uh, DC also, well, Jim Lee of DC said that in the in the coming months, uh, the, the relaunch of Milestone Comics, which has apparently been in talks for fucking years now, will be codified. What that means? Who the fuck knows? Why should you care? Who the fuck knows? Hey, Milestone's a fucking thing. Uh, <laughs> uh yeah. So there was also Arkham Static Asylum Shock sequel. Might come back. Yeah, there's a sequel to Arkham Asylum. Uh, the Grant, Grant Morrison and Chris Burnham. Uh, got to look at the. Second volume of Wonder Woman Earth One. Nice. Yeah, and a official thing for the final League of Extraordinary Gentlemen series, uh, The Tempest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it'll. Uh, have you have you guys read the Nemo ones at all? Uh, not the Nemo ones. I read the. They're okay. I read that first well, one. I own them. I don't. I've never read them though. I've only read the original stuff. Um, but I maybe I will in time for this new one. When is this new one coming out next year? Uh, da, 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 da. Looking that up. It summer twenty eighteen. Okay. Yep. Still written by Alan Moore. Still drawn by Kevin O'Neill. Mm-hmm. It'll be a six issue mini. Surprising. I'm surprised he's writing something new. I mean, that's, yeah. Uh, yeah. I guess uh, that is continuing on. I guess that is part of his, like, end of career, like, little bar thing. Right. Like, hey, yeah, here's what I got. Fucking coming. Go ahead. Well, something new other than an Avatar book. I know he's still yeah. doing some sort of Lovecraft type stuff over there, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Dark Horse has announced uh, three new books uh, coming to the Hellboy universe. Ooh. Yes, uh, the first title is Rasputin, Voice of the Dragon, which is mm-hmm. a book focusing on Rasputin, the guy what made the guy what brought Hellboy here. Yeah, but it's funny because he was literally only I think in the first Hellboy story and that was it. Yep. Like you only got like a glimpse of him at the start, right? But yeah. Yeah, but now we're getting a full brought back into his thing. Nice. Uh, it'll be written by Mike McNola and Chris Roberson with art by Christopher Mitten. So is, okay. that like my, is that like making a whole story out of the guy who shot Uncle Ben? Probably. <laughs> like, no one cares and it's really irrelevant. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the second book uh, will be A Christmas Story. Okay. <laughs> with Hellboy going up against Evil Santa. That's awesome. <laughs> I was like, at first I'm like, well, that's dumb. And I'm like, ooh. Yep. Uh, it will be going on Hell sale. I got run over by a reindeer. 
Yep, it'll be going on sale this December with art by Adam Hughes. What? What? <laughs> Well, really? I'm definitely not reading. Empowered? It. It's, it's, if it's interior art by Adam Hughes. Yeah. Oh, I'm thinking of Adam Warren. I'm sorry. Adam no, Hughes. Yeah, Adam, yeah. Warren. No, Adam Hughes. Warren would be preferable empowered. Adam Hughes. Yeah, yeah, I know. I just I couldn't picture that at first. Yeah, no, that's the empowered guy. Oh, Adam Hughes. That's going to take like two years to come out. I mean, if you want weird, Deco, <laughs> read Adam Warren's Star Wars books. <laughs> Oh, I, I bet. I didn't even know he did fucking Star Wars books. In addition to adapting the, the original trilogy, he did several of his own original Star Wars books. Huh. Yeah, so, uh, the, so the issue, which is Hellboy Krampusnacht, is a one-shot. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So it's Krampus again? Yep. Because, <laughs> you know, you and I didn't get sick of Krampus the last time we saw him dead, man. Yep. Uh, the final book is uh, Koshkai the, Death- the Deathless. It'll be looking into the, apparently, Baba Yaga is a character in Hellboy, and she has a henchman called Koshkai. Wow, that's a real deep cut for Hellboy fans. I don't even know what the fuck is. <laughs> I'm like, what is that? <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. The description <laughs> reads... Right. Sent to kill the sent to kill Hellboy by the Baba Yaga in Darkness Calls, Koshkai the Deathless hinted at a long and tragic life before being enslaved by the Russian witch. Now Koshkai relives every horrible act on his road to immortality and beyond, with none other than Hellboy himself in hell. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so it'll be written by Mignola with art by Ben Stenbeck. Stenbeck. Yeah. And that'll be coming out on January 10th next year. All right. Moving on. Huh. Beginning in Mighty Morphin Power Rangers number 20, uh, we'll be going back in time to the 1960s to look at the team of Mighty Morphin yes. Power Rangers who existed before the current Mighty Morphin Power I Rangers team. I saw this. That's interesting. I was like, holy shit. Are they actually going to do, like, original Sentai team? Because that, that specific year, I was like, what? That's an oddly specific year. Oh, that's the first year a Sentai team was created. <laughs> yes, so, in 1969, uh, the team consisted of, instead of teenagers with attitude, it consisted of young adults, presumably with attitude. We have... <laughs> or, you know, being the late 60s, early 70s, like, either um, protesting protesting kids or, like, you know, swell guys who just like they got everything they needed from life, and their dads just want them to do something with themselves. You know, one yeah, or the other. yeah, you know, like KGB agents. <laughs> uh, because one of the Rangers is a KGB agent. Well, of course, it's the late sixties. <laughs> yeah. So, um, as we uh, so 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 um, images weren't really released, but uh, we did get the name, age, and occupation of the different Rangers. Now, no colors though. So the Ranger yeah. team will consist of well, uh, Igor, a 21-year-old male who is a Soviet KGB agent. Uh, Jamie, he's, he's not the Red Ranger. Uh, Jamie, that, that'd be too on the nose. <laughs> yes, yeah, so we have Jamie, a 24-year-old female British singer and songwriter. Uh, Tarona, a 21-year-old male war vet. Daniel, an 18-year-old male student and protester. And Grace, uh, a 21-year-old female who is the head of secretary, who is the head secretary at NASA and a wannabe astronaut. 
okay, so we're going to have one guy complaining about this is how we lost Nam. And this the girl is just going to go, imagine all the monsters. <laughs> uh, no, uh, the, the protesters guy. <laughs> no, I was referring to the, that was a British pop singer. Oh, okay. Yeah. But we didn't, and we did get a cover for issue 20, which has the Red Ranger on the moon. With cool. with a uh, T Rex tracks, you know, one small step for a Zord, one giant leap for mankind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, so Cal Higgins, writer of the book, uh, said in a press release, "Any opportunity to add to the Power Rangers mythos is always an incredible honor and one of the fundamental reasons I love writing this book." Case in point, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers number 20 is going to take us back in time to a very different yet very familiar team of rangers. The ones that stopped a secret moon attack during the 1960s. Who were the Power Rangers of 1969? What happened to them? And how did and how do they fit into our current story? We're jumping back we're jumping into the way back machine to the summer of love to meet a new cast of rangers, some of whom will have a huge impact on the future of the Mighty Morphin team. I'm assuming the woman we saw at the end of the most recent issue was probably one of the Rangers. Yeah, probably. <laughs> but yeah, this is happening. Can't fucking wait. Yeah. Sounds like fun. Yeah. Nico, of course, has to get caught up on the previous 19 issues. Yeah, Nico. Uh, yeah, I might find a file somewhere online <laughs> and, and check it out. Because, uh, <laughs> I really don't want to uh, buy all the trades. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, uh, you know, I, I read it digitally is what I mean, of course, and pay for it. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Comicsology, yes. great service. Yes. Anyway, moving on. IDW has announced that they will be releasing a new series of Goosebumps comics. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> fuck off. Uh, that could be dumb. Yep. Oh, uh, the com- actually, no, it'll, it, no, actually, I, I take that back. It will be dumb. It could be fun. Yeah. So <laughs> the series uh, will be divided up into three issue arcs of original self contained stories with rotating creative teams. Hmm. Are so they they're going to let other books or are they or are they new material? Don't know. Okay. But they're going to essentially let other people write R.L. Stein. Yep. It's not going to be R.L. Stein. Uh, I don't know about that. I don't think that would be that hard to do. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. It's not a level of difficulty. It's just like that's just weird to me. I don't know. That's I don't know. That's uh, I don't know. That's just weird. Didn't yep. you just tell me something weird about involving Swamp King and R.L. Stein recently, Dead Man? Uh, yes, oh, the, the Swamp man King book thing. written by R.L. Oh, Stein. Oh, that was fucking shit. Yeah. Yes, it was. <laughs> Oh, God, that was so, awful. The first storyline, called Monsters at Midnight, will be written by Jeremy Lambert, who wrote the Attack on Titan anthology. Uh. Uh, with art by Chris uh, Finoglio, uh, who worked on X-Files Origins. Uh, it will be a series set at Horrorland. Oh, uh, I, do, I do like yeah, Horrorland. Yeah, that's one of the better, one yeah. of the better Goosebumps stories. Yeah, that's the amusement like, park one, right? Yep, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I do like that one. I read the book yeah, on that, too, back in the day. <laughs> the only ones I care about, really, are Goosebumps, haunted, uh, for them Goosebumps are Horrorland, Haunted Mask, and Stay Out of the Basement, and The Dummy. That's about it. Yeah, The Dummy, <laughs> of course. Yeah, Slappy. Well, Slappy <laughs> is featured very prominently on the cover of the first issue. 
Are you yeah. trying to like sell me on this fucking? <laughs> no, I'm not. You want to read it? <laughs> I, I don't. So, I really don't. The synopsis but... <laughs> for the first storyline reads: "Quote, Mia and Ginny, we're planning on spending a thoroughly dull summer at Grandma's house with nothing with nothing but mothballs to entertain them." Enter a spooky old bookstore, and a door left slightly ajar, and soon these sisters find themselves trapped in a horror land, drastically different from the sleepy suburban town they left behind. I just had a scare. I just had a hilariously stupid thought, Dead Man. And what's that? What if Slappy is the crypt keeper of this series? Fuck. Well, he he was in some like books, like I remember. Yeah. So, while no official like, release date has. Like, so, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but it's just like there's a there's if you've ever seen the the really bad Goosebumps movie that came out a couple of years ago, yeah, <laughs> there, yeah, there's an implication that the dummy created Jack Black, who then wrote Jesus. the dummy. Well, so Jack a, Black was R.L. Stein in the movie. Yeah, yeah, I, I know, but yeah. So, so anyway, that, yeah. anyway, there is sorry. yeah, so there is no um, official release date uh, for the book, but it is expected to be releasing this October, and. As a selling point, each issue will have multiple variant covers. Ugh. And I... Of course. I kind of just... Cha-ching. Uh, so, um... Let me just send you this. It is the cover image release for the first book, and it does not fill me with confidence. <laughs> That's the worst-looking slappy ever. What the fuck is that? Okay, there. I don't know if you've seen like the more recent, um, like updated versions of the old covers, Dead Man, because the the best versions of the Goosebumps books covers were the original ones. Yeah, they have these like, more like, cartoony, updated, recent ones for like oh, digital fuck that releases. Shit. That shit's horse and that's, that's what that's what this reminds me of. Uh, Goosebumps, that looks like, terrible. Like, the whole fucking like the selling point of Goosebumps was like, yes, they were fucking children's books, but they were also horror books. Mm-hmm. Like, like the like the covers looked like actual fucking horror shit. But then everybody's like, oh yeah, it's for kids, so like, fuck you. Yeah. That's lame. We need Jack Black. That. That's who we need, you know, to bring to really bring the horror of Goosebumps to life. We need Jack Black, motherfuckers. Moving along. Archie Comics is launching a new ongoing series based on the Archie's band. Meh. Yeah. Being written by Alex Segura, Alex Segura and Matt Rosenberg, who wrote um, Archie Meets the Ramones. With art by Joe Isma, who worked on Archie and Riverdale. And it's, yeah, a fucking ongoing series about that fucking band. You know, the ones that yeah, had that le- one song that made, that, like, is still being used today. Yeah, less interested in this one. Yeah. yeah. So, DC Comics is bringing... Is bringing me, I guess, back to comic form with a new book from Neil Adams. Ugh. <laughs> yeah, so Boston Brand's fucking getting back. Gonna have his own fucking thing now. Yeah, fuck Neil Adams. The book will also feature Batman, Zatanna, and Doctor Fate, and will have a glow-in-the-dark cover for the first issue. Ooh, yeah. 
Yeah. Who the... Better have a variant. (laughs) I will fight you. (laughs) Oh, also, the -the glow-in-the-dark cover will cost a dollar more than the regular book. Oh, what a cash grab. Honestly, Deadman, in terms of stuff with Constantine and Dr. Fate, I'm looking more forward to the Justice League action episode where Stargirl has to call them to help her deal with the fact that Clarion the Witch Boy has replaced the girl she's babysitting. (laughs) That sounds like fun. That actually does sound really interesting. Anyway, then, final thing. Uh, Green Lantern Earth 1 is happening. Yes. Yep, it, uh, it's from, uh, Karina Peck, Karina Bech, uh, Bechko, uh, Gabriel Hardman and Jordan Boyd. It'll be coming in 2018. Yeah. Looks good. Yep, instead of, uh, yeah, it'll be about Hal Jordan, astronaut, uh, working for Ferris Galactic. Heading out into space and becoming part of the Green Lantern Corps. Yeah, but the description I read was like it's him actually just trying to be like a science guy and trying to like explore and discover new things yep. in order to yeah, advance tech. Like, yeah, he, he, he is he is a scienceman instead of a instead of a cocksure fucking Douche fly by bag. the hip pilot. Yeah, yeah, that's why I like. Yeah, you, I you, like the. You can't you the can't be a fucking astronaut by being a fucking slapdick bullshit pilot. <laughs> right, astronauts are fucking scientists. Yeah, so I like that. I like that they 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 they're going for that version. Yeah, and I have been interested in the in the Earth One books, so I end yeah. up reading it. The only I think the only Earth One books I haven't read are the fucking Superman ones because I heard before yeah. I had any interest in the Earth One things that those books were horseshit. Same. Yeah, no, I haven't read them either because I heard the same thing that were the worst. They were abomination. I heard. Yep. So I was like, nope. But not yeah, no, I'll, I'll fucking read that Batman book where Two Face is a lady. <laughs> I mean, what? <laughs> and Harvey Bullock, instead of being I a fat. Talking about another... I'm sorry, for a second I thought you were talking about another bad Elseworlds tale. Yep, we're not talking about that one. Nope. Not even mentioning the name. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> and also, like, Harvey Bullock is like some shitbag from LA who's like here to film a TV show or something. Like, what? That's crazy. Yeah. And Harvey's going to fucking kill himself soon because Gordon left him. Earth One Harvey Bullock is such a fucking pathetic piece of shit. <laughs> anyway. How's it for this week? <laughs> All right. That's oh, there's good. a note to end on. Yeah. Thank you for joining us. Nice. We'll be back in two weeks' time with those of the Astroprods.com podcast. It will be now and then. We got bullshit coming out. I don't know. Still that I'm dead. All right. I'm Birdie. I'm Nico. We will. See you guys next time. <laughs>